is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire Welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and I'm here with my good friend, Tim Elliott. Say hi, Tim. Hi, Tim. Isn't that getting a little old? <laughs> I never that, that joke never gets old. It never does. Wait, it says right here, it's 67 years old. <laughs> hey, it's 67 years young, thank you. Uh, hi, Brian. Uh, <laughs> thank you for bringing us in to this, uh, this wonderful show we're fixing to... Uh, uh, lay at your feet, and uh, we've got a couple extra special guests with us, um, the same guys from the last show we were on, which if you're hearing this, hopefully that's been out and you've heard it. If not, let me reintroduce John Hyatt and David Thompson. Hey there. Hello. Hi. Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> it's going oh great. Is this, the, is this the part where we're supposed to tell them that if you haven't listened to part one, you should pause? Download part one, listen to that, and then come back. Exactly. Unless you don't care about continuity. <laughs> continuity, continuity. I mean, it's not like, you know, prior to last week that we were doing things in a particular order. I mean, the only times that we ever did that was like when we did our very first episode where we did three. And then we did the Ant-Man story with the Back to the Bins guys. And what was the other two-parter we did? Iron Fist with the uh, Marvel team-up. And we also did two-parter on OMAC and uh, mm. the Alpha Flight X-Men story. This is true. This is true. We've had a, a couple of continuity. Yeah. 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 So, but, I mean, if you haven't listened to it, yes, by all means, go back and listen to it. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's, you know, got some really, really good discussion that goes on and on. But it's hilarious. <laughs> And for those who are not quite sure what we're talking about, Brian, you want to give us a little uh, synopsis of what that's why, why, why I why opened this, up. What? That's why okay. I opened up. So you can I'll, sit there and I'll, talk I'll, all about it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. The, the part of the reason why they're laughing is because how much I goofed it up last week. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Well, you're <laughs> editing it. You can, you can take out whatever you want. <laughs> we are, uh, this is kind of our part two. We're covering the Dark Phoenix saga. Uh, we're covering 135 through 137. We've covered 135 on our previous episode. This episode is going to be 136. Uh, and I think David is going to be giving us a little synopsis on it later on. And then we're going to jump into discussing all the wonderful things about this issue. Uh, because the, the movie's coming out and we want to, uh, you know, blatantly ride his coattails to get some extra uh, listeners. And also show them how the Dark Phoenix story really should go. Yeah, right. that's true. That's true. You know how it was. It's always you know it's, it's the first time. It's usually the best. Ye you know, of little faith. You don't think this is going to be a you know straight comic adaptation? You think they're going to change it up? 
I think the only way that they could, I mean, you know, obviously, yeah, they're they're gonna change up a lot of stuff, but it, you know, I, I, it's one of those things I've been given a lot of thought to over the last couple of weeks, and and Byrne himself had said that you know the Dark Phoenix story is is a, a long ongoing saga that had so much to build it up, and there's no way in a two two and a half hour movie that you can put together all the parts of the puzzle that made that the greatness that it is. And so I was thinking the best way to do it, and now would be the right time to do it, is to make it like an HBO miniseries or an HBO regular series, you know, do it, you know, several seasons and, you know, start off with the origin in the first season, you know, maybe do, you know, like a, a big Magneto conflict at the end. The second season could be, you know, you could do the, the second season on the Hellfire Club ending with your, you know, your, 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 your cliffhanger where she turns into Dark Phoenix. And then that would be the third season. You yeah. know what? Maybe. Oh, maybe go ahead. We'll, yeah, maybe we'll see that with uh, the Disney Plus streaming service, right? So we know that uh, Disney uh, didn't renew the contracts or Netflix didn't renew the contracts with Disney for, for whatever reason to uh, continue the, the Marvel franchises on there. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get some of this stuff. Yeah, that's, that's a hope. But, you know, the thing is, is that I, I think that some people still see too big a dollar signs on, the, on, on these characters to think that they could be a TV series. Mm, like that's somehow beneath them? Yes. I mean, if you watch the, the other shows, you know, it's like even the, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., while it's had some you know, flirting with some of the elements that you, you know, see in the movie, they really tried to, to, to keep them separate. Well, for the most part, although outside of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I have to admit I stopped watching like after the third or fourth season, um, they, they tend to be, you know, kind of boots, boots on the ground, you know, man on the street, you know, uh, fisticuffs, you, you've guns. You've not seen the last two seasons. And the last two seasons were not on the ground. <laughs> they were not made no. on the street. They were yeah, in but, space but, in the future. Holy crap, what the hell just happened? Yeah, but the last two seasons are so far off from what I thought that show was going to be. Yes. That it's, it was no longer Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and it became the the Daisy show. Yeah. That's why I stopped watching because I was like, okay, enough of this. Yeah, you know, and, and that was, well, I can't go into that because you guys haven't seen The Avengers yet. No. Nope. Endgame. And nope. so we can't. Oh, let me, let me tell you how, let me tell you how it goes. anything. <laughs> let me tell you how it ends. Well, no, I, I'll, I'll just go on record as saying it was freaking awesome, man. It was. It was. It's emotionally exhausting. I will give you that. Yes. Yes, but I mean, it, it just, it, it pressed all the right buttons. Um, it's one of those things, though, that, that we'll have to wait and see down the road how it, you know, survives multiple viewings. But since it's already made over $1.3 billion worldwide in, what, five days? That's it. Yeah, that's yeah. all, yeah. Wow. Pocket change. <laughs> hey, Brian, I mean, this is not a spoiler, but I gotta ask you. When you watched it, was there one particular scene where everybody kind of, yes. everybody kind of clapped? Oh, yeah. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. And there was much rejoicing. Uh, I mean, yeah. Huh? It, it, yeah, just, yeah. The, the, the movie, like I said, it hits all the right buttons, and it, it's definitely going to 
It's going to tug at your heart. It's going to make, you know, if, if you are like me, tears are going to roll down your face. I, I cry. I'm a weeper. And so, you know, I mean, I'm like Dick Vermeil that way. You know, um, you create a good emotional moment. You're going to see a tear come down my cheek. And watching that movie, it was like, okay, here comes emotional moment number 46. <laughs> 52, 97, 108. And I just, you know, it was just greatness up until the end. Just greatness. Can't wait to see it again. You know, before we cover the book, I have to piggy, piggyback on this a little bit and say that one of the few movies that really are actors and movie franchises that shaped me as a kid was the Christopher Reeve Superman. Oh, yeah. And, and to me, he still embodies Superman. The guy, you know, was both on and off, you know, uh, camera, you know, seemed, you know, was a good, good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously had, had uh, a lot of issues after the accident, but continued to, to be a great advocate. I bring this up only because, regardless of whatever happens in Avengers Endgame, I think they got it so right with Chris Evans playing Captain America. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, they just could not have asked for a better person to play that particular role. And who would have thought, watching his performance in the first FF movie, that (laughs) that guy who's playing the Human Torch is going to go on to play Cap and play it so earnestly... Right. And with so much heart uh, that, and I will say this: everybody, everybody in the show brings their A game. The acting is top notch. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many surprises and and deep, deep pulls uh, from you know every single Marvel movie there's been. They they find a way of, of touching and tagging everything, so that if you've been along for every one of them, even even the weaker ones, you know, it, it, it will tug at you. It, yeah, it's just awesome. Uh, but this isn't about Avengers Endgame. This is about John Byrne, the Dark Phoenix Saga, and X-Men issue 136. So, is there anything else we want to discuss before we get into that and get the synopsis? Uh, I think I'm... I'm ready to go. I got one thing. Okay. Today, earlier today, John Byrne posted up on his uh, forum a uh, a new page from his X-Men Elseland project. Oh, yes. And it was a shot, basically, very simple, uh, but it basically showed the Sentinels uh, in all their glory taking off from some Sentinel base. Yep. And um, just, I, I mean, I... Just sitting there looking at that, I was just, again, it took me back to when I was a kid. It took me back to Days of Future Past. And I, I just couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe that we're there, we're living in a time where we're getting to see this stuff brand new again. It's just one page. He's still, still got it. Oh, yes. He's got yeah. it. It now, was a pretty powerful page of storytelling right there, just even without words. You looked at it, you're like, you felt, or I felt when I saw it, after you posted it, I felt the ominousness of the Sentinels. Of course, we grew up in an era when the Sentinels were the the ominous foe of anything mutant, because when they showed up, it was like, oh man, it's hitting the fan right now. And then to see them 
going off, it reminded me of the very early days of the Sentinels back in the Neil Adams X-Men days of what uh, the 50s. Uh, when we first met Havoc and all of that, and and the Sentinels were being created by Trask and sent off into space, and or or when uh, Cyclops tricked them into going off into space, it was a re- very reminiscent of that type of really massiveness. It was really it was a nice, it's a nice page. Yes, yes. You know, I posted that uh, about eleven hours ago uh, to multiple uh, different groups there in Facebook. So far, I've gotten over. 500 reactions to that one page just across all the various groups that I put it out there from third degree burn to Steve Wilcox's uh, burn victims, the genius of John Byrne, uh, John Byrne comic book fans unite. And then of course the Tutor freaks cantina, uh, just, just reaction after reaction not a single person out there saying, you know, there's anything bad about it. It was all thumbs up and loves and and what have you. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's the kind of response I would have expected. It was, But it's really gorgeous. And we just need for C.B. Sabolsky to get off of his behind and get this book on the shelves. It's money in the bank. Well, uh, Brian, you're really fanning the flames there, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> insert yes. drum, insert snare uh, you know drum beat here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey David, I understand you have a book report for us. I do. I do. <laughs> um, I I uh, I don't want to uh, put us off course, which I did last time a little bit. So I will just say, I will start off with X Men One Thirty Six is the book that we're covering today. The cover date was August of 1980. The on-sale date was May 20th of 1980, which this data comes from Mike's Amazing World. And, Brian, you used to like to tell about what else was on the shelves, right, around the same time? Yeah, um, we also had uh, Amazing Adventures number 9. Now, that was a reprint uh, issue of a a Lee Kirby X-Men story, and I believe it had to do with the circus, uh, not the circus of crime, but the blobs. Uh, circus buddies and he, uh, John Byrne had done the cover uh, for that issue, which I think was the the, the X Men st- being surrounded by the circus group. Uh, also was Captain America number two forty eight, Dragon Man. So that was a, a nice, a wonderful issue of, of uh, Captain America with Robert Roger Stern on uh, story and Joe Rubenstein doing the inks. And I don't know if y'all remember that one where where Dragon Man tried to eat the shield like a wafer. <laughs> and it didn't that turn work out, out too well for him. No, no, he needed a dentist after that. Ouch. Uh, then we had Fantastic Four number 221, uh, and that was uh, the continuation from uh, last month. And so he did story and pencils uh, on that. And then, of course, X-Men 136. So uh, three books and one cover. That's a lot. And, of course, on X-Men 136, he did plot and pencils. Now, He's a co co plotter. Yeah. Okay. Now the one the one bit of trivia that I had found, of course, and I, I posted on Facebook once I saw it, um, is that if you look at the cover, you'll see that the the letters in X Men where Jean had held them in the previous issue were still cracked. And honestly, until I read that bit of trivia here from the Marvel Wiki, I had not realized that, and went back and looked, and like for forty years, no nope, nothing. 
And then all of a sudden, there it is. Now you can't miss it. You're right. I and when you posted that on Facebook, I was like, "What?" And then I looked at, it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's so cool!" Because <laughs> I <laughs> never took notice of it myself. I just didn't note it. So that was a neat little piece of trivia to come out of this. However, the, the downside of it was, for whatever reason, Byrne was against that. He didn't oh, really? Like, he didn't like the cracks on there. So, uh, yeah, that was something he was surprised by that they put that on there. Huh. I wonder why he didn't like that. That's interesting. Yeah, I would think he would. That would be something he would. He would be a more like his idea. Yeah, especially since he pretty much homaged the previous X-Men cover from. I forgot what we determined that cover was, what, 49 or something. You know, he homaged that. So I would have thought that he might have thought that would be cool to carry that through. Now, before you do the the whole synopsis and everything, i got to ask you guys, is this the most homaged cover there is? Yes. I mean, what is this the one that, that Crisis came from? Or Yes. No, or, Crisis. Is there one before this. that where someone was holding someone like that? There, you know, we'll go ahead, John. Oh, I was looking that up, but there are a lot of covers that have been that have had a very similar pose. Uh, Brave and the Bold, Batman and Sergeant Rock, uh, a Batman issue way back in the 60s. There was a Superman uh, or a Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane issue where he was holding her in a very similar pose. There were um, I think there was a Thor issue at some point. Um where it was a very similar post, so there yeah, were. That's that's the one where Jane Foster's holding Thor. Yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a, and I think it actually comes from La Pieta, uh, the the statue uh, uh, that was created. That's very similar, which was actually very homaged in the death of Captain Marvel. But it's a very similar pose to that where Christ is lying and Mary's on. The Passion of the Christ is that the Passion or is it the? I, I, I'm trying to remember from my art history from from school, and I know which I think I know which statue you're talking about. That's Michelangelo. Yeah, it's it's a statue. It's um, uh, yeah, it is in the Vatican, and it's Mary holding Jesus in her lap, uh, dead. So, right after the crucifixion. So it's very, it's not quite the same pose because she's kind of seated and he's laying in her lap, seated. But it's also it's very similar that he's just. His, the body is there and someone's holding him. So yeah, it is the, very, the, yeah. the limpness of it, the lifelessness mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. But Mary, Mary's looking down right at him, isn't she? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's been homage since. I mean, Mighty Mouse did it. Uh, I think George Perez actually drew that one for Mighty Mouse. Uh, uh, Crisis, of course. Perez, uh, be- uh, beautiful cover for that, and uh, a, a cover of Supergirl. Uh, did the did the uh, did a uh, copy where Supergirl was holding the Supergirl who was wearing the T-shirt and the shorts? I think it was Peter David created or redesigned that Supergirl. So it's been recreated a lot. Wow. Just to put put it in context, Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven was uh, on sale in 1985. I'm trying to remember the month. Uh, it was June or July, somewhere around there. So that that would not come out until five years after this, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I believe that there was probably some inspiration for that cover. Well, yeah, I mean it it, it is because he, he Superman is in the exact same 
mm-hmm. stance, even where he's leaning off to his left, you know, with, with his head and everything. And, you know, the body is in, in a very similar position and all that. So, yeah, I mean, that's I was pretty sure that that George was giving homage to John in that way. I just didn't know, you know, that something like that went all the way back to, say, Thor 127, where Odin's holding Thor. Well, just uh, if you look at X-Men 167, where Scott's holding Xavier, it's almost the same same cover. But I think Captain Adam had the more La Pieta. In uh, Captain Adam number eight, a Pat, Pat Broderick cover, I think. Yeah. But yeah. Um, anyway, but uh, yeah, just a, an interesting subject, and I'm sure that uh, you know one of our listeners probably has like the whole history or whatever they might want to educate us on. I know that uh, yeah, stuff like this always always uh, intrigues me. Like the whole when super when uh, he did the Fantastic Four with Guardian. And then did the, the the Superman cover with the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, and and you know when you see stuff like that, you know it, it to me it's always cool. Some people just kind of scoff at it, but uh, I love that stuff. So wondering about this, you know, the, you know exactly how many times it's been aped, uh, how many times it's been aped successfully. Though is a different matter altogether, though. Um, That's true. Yeah. Uh, so, David, you want to get us uh, started? I would love to, Brian. All right. Okay. So we are covering X-Men number 136, as we said a few minutes ago. Your uh, writer is Chris Claremont, of course. Uh, your co-plotter and penciler is John Byrne. Terry Austin is handling the inks. Tom Orzachowski is your letterer. And Glennis Ween is your colorist. Taken from the Marvel Wikia... Our synopsis for X-Men 136, which is titled Child of Light and Darkness, starts. Following the Dark Phoenix destroying the Dabari system, Empress Leandra of the Shi'ar meets with the Galactic Council on the threat that the Phoenix poses to the universe. The decision is unanimous in light of the evidence. The Phoenix must be destroyed. While on Earth, the Phoenix's presence does not go unnoticed. And receiving a warning from Dr. Peter Corbo, the President of the United States attempts to contact the Avengers to find that only their butler, Edwin Jarvis, is present. When Jarvis terminates the call with the President, he notes that it was the Beast's turn to stay behind on monitor duty and wonders where he could have went. The Beast is with his old comrades, the X-Men, preparing for the Dark Phoenix's return by building a synaptic scrambler device to prevent Jean from using her powers. As Cyclops struggles to come to terms with what's become of Jean, Storm tries to console him, while down below in the danger room, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Colossus attempt to blow off some steam in the danger room. They all come to agree that they must destroy Jean if they must. However, their foremost duty will be to try and save her. The Dark Phoenix, meanwhile, returns to her parents' home at Annadale, or Annadale, on Hudson, and wakes up her parents and younger sister Sarah. Finding their thoughts impossible to keep out of her head, Jean attempts to keep her anger in check. However, she cannot and shows her family her powers by changing a house plant into a crystal. 
Noticing a fog outside, Dark Phoenix realizes that the X-Men have found her and rushes out to meet them. Nightcrawler teleports behind her and places the synaptic scrambler on her head. Although this causes her great pain and limits her abilities, she is still able to hold her own against the X-Men's combined assault on her. When Wolverine gets close enough to her, she begs him to kill her with his claws. But Wolverine falters long enough for Phoenix's dark side to reassert control and blast him away. Having overheated the scrambler, Dark Phoenix removes it and locks the X-Men in stasis. She begins to torture them mentally until she is confronted by Cyclops, who tries to convince her to stop fighting and almost has her won over when Professor X arrives and attacks her mentally. Good job, Professor X. This causes her to flip back to her evil persona and attack Charles directly. The two lock in mental combat, and after a match of wits, Charles Xavier manages to use his mental powers to force the Dark Phoenix persona deep into Jean's mind, restoring their sanity. Although the X-Men have a heartfelt moment now that Jean is back, they all wonder how long her sanity will last. When Jean Grey and her family approach Xavier to demand answers... They are shocked. I'm sorry, when John Gray and his family approaches Xavier to demand answers, they are shocked when the X-Men are all suddenly teleported away. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, digging right in here to the cover. We talked about uh, you know how many times this has been homaged all the way back to the beginning of The Roots. A couple of things that stand out to me on the cover. One is, I'm a sucker for the little call-out boxes, and this one has, you know, a great one. Don't miss this special issue containing more shocks and surprises than ever before. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we've got the title of the book and then the final phase of the Phoenix. So between the, the, the text and the image, you know it's going down in this book. Something big is happening, and it's not good for Gene. I gotta say, I've got the, um, I'm sorry, excuse me, I've got the uh, Artifact Edition mm. of, of the X-Men, of course, which has got so many of the pages of the original artwork. Um, and the front cover, of course, is the front cover of X-Men 136. But it's, you know, with all the, the dressing, the trade dress and everything taken away, except for, you know, where it says X-Men. Um, and to see it in it, in its, you know, original form, it is even more beautiful than this cover, you know, shows as published. Uh, you know, I, I feel like we, we lost a little bit in the translation of that. And of course, all that's because of the Kirby crackle and everything in the background right. and, and, you know, the, the lines that, uh, Byrne and Austin used. Um, but it's just, you know, it's, uh, I, I love, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever owned. <laughs> Now, those Artifact Editions, those are put out by IDW? Yes. Yeah, and those are, for those that don't know, they're oversized, and they're they're printed on super high-quality paper, great binding. Um, they're expensive, so just know that before you even go yeah. Googling for them. Now, normally they put them out as an, an Artisan Edition, where it mm-hmm. is an entire issue covered right. from cover to cover. And unfortunately... Terry Austin himself uh, does not sell his original artwork, and the anchors get half of the artwork from any book that they've worked on. 
So from all of the, the, the X-Men that they worked on together from 108 all the way to 143, um, you know, it basically there were so many pages missing. They did not have enough original pages to put together one whole issue. So instead, they took all of the, those, the pages that they could get and created this artifact edition. So, I mean, it's not like you could read it and get the whole story. But right. you're getting so, so much more than you would from an artisan edition. I wonder what the story is behind that because... It's his retirement fund. That, yeah, that's but they, simple. all he would have needed to do, though, is let IDW scan the pages. He feels that that would lessen the value of it when it does come time for him to sell it. And And frankly, you know, I mean... He may not be on target with it, but I'm going to let the man, you know, go with that. When we see that that the uh, those pages go on sale here in the next couple of days uh, at Heritage Auctions, they're gonna, they're, I mean, they're already auctioning off some of uh, the old Burn uh, and Austin X Men stuff and other pieces here and there. But they're going to auction off the opening splash page to 137, and they're expecting half of a million dollars for that probably more at this point because there's been a whole lot of publicity around it um you know i wouldn't spend half a million dollars for the watcher right. the double page double spread splash page yeah. on, uh, that i might if i had a half a million to just burn a hole in my pocket i would sp- i would drop it on that but not for the watcher and then a couple of uh, the pages burned and put together for uh elsewhere he's decided not to use and those went off, and at a, they were sold at a con by Jim Warden, and they were picked up by. The, and I, I was pronouncing it as coolness, but it's cool lines. Uh, these guys that call themselves art dealers, and they they will buy them, and they'll basically price everything up to ridiculous prices just to see who'll pay for it. And they're wanting seven thousand dollars a page right now. Wow! For the the That's, two pages yeah. that they got. Yeah. See. I think Mr. Austin's wrong in that. You know, a per- perfect example is, so one of the books that, you know, we sold the heck out of last month was the uh, facsimile edition of Hulk 181. Uh, Marvel put out a direct reprint of the original first appearance of Wolverine. And, of course, the reason they did that is because for most people, you know, Wolverine 181 or Hulk 181 it's out of it's out of most consumers' reaches. Yes, you know, or the average comic collector. You know, even for me, right? I I would not tie up that much money in a, in one book because I just you know I I am not one to do that. Um, but for five bucks, right, you could buy a uh, you know a replica basically of that book and you know stuff it in your collection and and you've got a copy. Or if you wanted to sit down and read it just the way it was, you have it. Uh, you know, a reprint, those IDW um, artist editions or artifact editions, it's never going to be the original. It just won't. But I, I think, you know, he's he's wrong in thinking that it somehow devalues the original artwork. If anything, it creates potentially more fans by um, someone getting a chance to, to look at those pages as, you know, they were originally done and in the size that they were originally done to, to what... Um, Brian, you said earlier that you know you you do lose some detail when it's compressed down to a standard comic book page versus what you know at what size the artist drew it. Well, I, I think he's. I, I agree. I think if he's if he's thinking, well, they're going to buy these pages because they want to see them, 
And if mm-hmm. they produce them in a book, then people are going to see them. They're not going to want to buy this page. That's not why they're buying these pages. They're mm-hmm. buying them because they were original art. Right. And you can see yes. the artist's handiwork on them. It has nothing to do with just seeing the images. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I think he's – it wouldn't devalue them. And it might actually, as you said, bring a little more interest to him. I think whatever, whenever he decides to sell them – They'll sell. I don't think you'll have a problem finding a buyer and, for them. No. The thing is, is that the way that the other bits from, you know, X, the X-Men are selling for, which is thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, he's going to make enough to be able to live comfortably on, in, in my opinion. I mean, it's not just his X-Men work, but everything that he has worked on in his career that he has been holding on to. There's one page I know of, uh, of his work that's gotten out there. But, um, I mean, the thing is, you know, he's he's saving it for his nest egg and, you know, but I understand what, what you're saying there as far as all that. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to I'm, I'm happy with what I got, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's his it's his art to do with as he wishes. Right. You know, more power to him for holding on to him. You know, as we've seen many artists, you know, get to the point in their life where they they really can't create um, anything new anymore, and you know they they can hit some hard times. Well, you know uh, George because, George Perez just uh, retired. I'm going to put that in air quotes, though. Retired. Well, I, no, I, mean, I think it's really true. He he. Uh, from what I read, he, he well, of course, he's been slowing down because of mm-hmm. his health. His eyesight is bad. Right. Um, he's, he has he's a, diabetic. Diabetic. So I I think it really is a hard retirement, unfortunately, and what a great loss to the comic community because he's such an amazing artist. He says he can't keep up with the pace that's needed, but I I have a hard time believing that Marvel or DC couldn't dangle enough cash out there to get him to – because he still does a fair number of covers, and he would have a long lead time on a cover. Let him work on something he can work at his own pace. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's a book that comes out every four months or every, um, is it Bill Mantlo or hasn't his brother started like a kind of a GoFundMe or something because he's, he's in a hospital and he needs some help with his medical bills. Yeah. Now, see, Bill Mantlo got hit by a car. Oh, I heard that. And, uh, so he lost the ability basically to take care of himself. Yeah. Um, very sad. Yeah, and of course, you know, he's not getting, you know, these guys, you know, they they work basically, you know, they don't have contracts, they don't have regular jobs, you know, it's basically they come in the office and say, can I have something to write? And if they're lucky, you know, they're, they, they get, you know, continuous stream of work to work on, but not everybody is, you know, Roy Thomas or, you know, the guys up at the top that, you know, find other jobs in the business aside from just being a writer. And so they don't have regular insurance. They don't have, you know, any kind of, you know, benefit plan that's going to sit there and create a nest egg for them. And especially if you wind up hospitalized in in a point where you need 24-hour care like Bill Mantlow, you know, there's nothing, there's no kind of fund or anything that's there for you. And uh, now I understand that they actually uh, got him to see uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, both of them, before they actually aired, uh, showed up in the theaters. Uh, because of the characters he's created in there. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. But I don't know, you know, I mean, again, it, we don't know how much he, he's been able to enjoy it or not. Um, well, I think before when uh, when Cochran passed, right before he passed, I think he was on kind of a hard times, wasn't he? 
Yeah, he was, from what I read, or what I think I read was that he was pretty on hard times, and I think that's kind of what started the whole um, hero initiatives and the and the the movements for creating these programs that could take care of these artists when they were in their elder age or health health issues and retirements and things. So I'm really glad that they're finally getting some support for the great work that they brought well, to so many people. Yeah, let's let's be honest and this is going to be the the major liberal side of me coming out, you know, kind of the don't trust big business. Um and if my employer's listening, I love what I do. Don't <laughs> don't ever don't ever worry. Um these movies have look, nobody could have predicted in the 1960s and 70s or 80s or 90s, right? That this this was the place that we were going to be you know, in 2019 with Avengers opening up in one weekend and making you know, over a billion dollars. Nobody could have predicted that. Um, these mega corporations could easily solve all these problems. You know, the, the issues that these aging creators who, to John's point, right? They, yes, they did work for hire. And, there, and even if you want to dig around in John Byrne, right? John Byrne got in trouble for talking about work for hire and playing in, you know, in the, within the rules that you're given uh, based on that. But the simple fact is they're mega corporations. They could easily say, okay, look, we know that you guys were all and gals were, um, you know, not adequately compensated because nobody could foresee that this was where we were going to go with the characters that you created. So we're going to do a one-time, right, kind of true up on everybody and say, okay, here's the list of characters you created, and for X amount, you, you get X amount of dollars, right? So let's just say it's some, you know, arbitrary number. You all get $10 million each. It's a drop in the bucket for the mega corporations, but it would change all of these creators' lives. And, and, I think go a long way to saying, okay, we didn't we didn't do it right then, but we're taking care of you now. Because I think it wasn't until after the uh, battle for the with the Superman estate, right, with the Jerry Siegel and and Joel Schuster uh, battle in what the late seventies that this stuff really started to come into public view, where people well, right started to kind of get a taste of. Neil Adams became the big advocate for them, mm-hmm. and he took that that whole thing public so that, that everybody knew what was going right. on. And DC, you know, looked you looked really really bad, mm-hmm. and basically they put them on a payroll for the rest of their lives. And that still wasn't enough, though. I no, mean, you know, they were getting like what twenty two grand a year. Which, well, they were living in poverty. Still. Yeah, they were they were living 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 in poverty, and you know they they didn't get royalties and everything, you know, for their work. And then Jim Shooter comes along in the eighties, and he yeah, Shooter was a big so advocate for creators' rights and 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 you know making you know making sure that these guys are getting compensated for all that. But that was after so many of all these characters have been created, right? And but now we live in a day and an age where you know writers and artists working for Marvel and DC are the the creation of a brand new character is few and far between because they see all the money coming and going to the big companies and not going to them. They still feel that the 
that it's still an unequal state and that, you know, the big company is just, you know, ga- still gaining too much from it where they're not getting enough. Well, because they don't want to pay. Here's a here's a prime example. Uh, when Voyager launched, the Tom Pears character was supposed to be the character from First Duty. Mm-hmm. But they didn't want to have to pay that writer, which I think was uh, Michael Moore. That's uh, not Michael reason. Moore. Um, uh, not Michael Moore. Uh, whoever created the new Battlestar. That's what, that doesn't make a difference. Yeah. They didn't want to pay him the rights, so they basically, it's the same character, they just changed his name. Mm-hmm. Right, that way but, they didn't have to pay him any rights. And that's the same reason why they didn't use Edith Keeler in Star Trek Generations, because they didn't want to have to go back and pay Harlan Ellison, um, or Joan Collins for that matter. Or why Ro Laren was not in DS9. That was supposed to be, Kieran Norris was supposed to be Ro Laren. I, I thought she made a choice herself that she didn't want to I don't. I don't know, course. but I thought that was, uh, that, that could have been. But they they still could recast, but but that's a lot of times that's why that's you know they don't want to they don't want to pay uh, or as you said for Harlan Ellison they don't want to pay someone to use their character so they'll come up with somebody new. I'll tell you guys a little secret. Um, what <laughs> the gal that plays Kira on uh, Deep Space Nine reminds me of my wife when I first met her. Don't ever tell her that. Shh. Okay. <laughs> she she was from, she was from another planet. She had that ridge on her nose removed, right? Oh, like, she, she you know, had the weird hearing. If, if she shows up with a crinkle French fry on her nose, you're in trouble. No, there, yeah. there's a funny story about that. Um, she had just finished uh, makeup for an episode of Deep Space Nine, and they put the ridges on her nose there. And as she was getting out of the makeup trailer, she fell and she hurt herself. But, yeah, I mean, she, like, hurt her side or something. And so they had to take her to the infirmary or whatever, you know, the, the, the trailer where they, you know, look after everybody. And um, the guy sitting there, and he doesn't even know what's going on. He just knows he's got someone that's hurting her. And he comes in, and he looks at her face and doesn't realize that she's on Star Trek. <laughs> he just sees this nose with those weird ridges. He goes, oh, my God, that looks painful. Wait, I know a guy that can fix that. Yeah, his name is Michael Westmark. He'll just pull it right off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so wait, does uh, that make you? Does that make you Odo, Brian? No, I don't think so. It, oh, it, 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 more like Doctor Bashir, because in real life he married her, and uh, the season that uh, Major Kira was pregnant, she was actually pregnant with uh, what's the, what's the guy's name? Alexander Siddig's baby. He married. He married Nana Visitor. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, they were well. They were married for a while. They're not married anymore, and oh. they do have a child from that. But that, that's the, that's why she had the baby from O'Brien and Keiko. She carried oh, to cover right to cover her pregnancy. That makes sense. <laughs> well, weren't we supposed to be talking about a comic? And this book? has been the yeah, Star Trek Deep Space Nine <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay, well, you, you you got us on Hulk one eighty one. I'm and, sorry. So it's all my it, fault. All, no, all of it goes back to the cover and my gushing about the cover and the X-Men Artifact artifact Edition and all that. Yes. So I take complete right. and total blame for this. But let's go ahead and turn to page one. As comic lovers, you did a good service to the listening audience because many people may not be aware of those artifact editions or artist editions. And if you ever want to see something that really knocks your socks off, yeah, take a look at one of those. Because it's like the, my, the comic book shop down the street for me collected. And there's, I actually have three comic book shops within five miles of me, which is 
just apparently unheard of because as I'm reading now, comic book shops are closing all over the country. It's even the though turn of, it's unheard of this day and age. Yeah. Yes. But, but you know, the thing is that the three stores here, uh, pastimes, uh, collected and sci-fi factory, all of them branch out. They diversify. They know that comic books are not the only thing there are out there to sell that people like us, you know, have a lot of different fandoms, and so they can branch out and sell a lot of different items. Comic books can be the mainstay, but as long as you diversify, you should be able to stay in business. I, I can't, I can't fathom how a comic book shop can go out of business, especially right now. <laughs> it, I mean, Obviously, it, you haven't been to some of the old shops where it's. Excuse <laughs> me, that was issue one thirty six. Yeah, X Men. I mean, yeah. Or they haven't organized their stuff in 20 years. Right. Yeah, have you <laughs> like seen the that back movie? issue bins when I was a kid. Have oh, you yeah. seen the movie Comic Book Villains? No. With Carrie Ellis. Carrie Ellis, Natasha Leone, and Donald Logue. Uh, and it's it's not a great movie, but the thing is you see people that you know in it. And, um, uh, yeah, DJ Qualls is in it also. And yeah. um, it's, it's a it's, seller for me. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting movie, and uh, they've got you know Donald Logue is the, is the guy that he runs the crap comic book shop where, you know the counter's broken and it's always rocking as he's trying to sit there and ring up stuff and you know, he's just never getting everything fixed and he can never find anything, and then Carrie Elwes and Natasha Leone own the mm-hmm. shop where everything is bagged and boarded before you can even look at buying it. You know, is it and, like it's basically clerks for comic books, right? Uh, yeah, but there's, you know, there apparently there's an old guy that's got this great collection that's about to die, and everybody wants the collection. <laughs> every every shop thinks that if I get that, that's going to make my shop the top shop, you know. So they're circling him or trying to woo him? Exactly. I used to go to a comic shop that was in Louisville that actually had a sign over their rack that said, only read the comics you plan on buying. Well, if I don't pick it up and look at it, how do I know I'm going to buy it or not? Yeah, don't get your greasy fingerprints all over the comic. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to buy it. You know, it's it's funny because it's like uh, in 2000, uh, I, I was considering opening a comic book shop of my own, and uh, it didn't work out. Nine eleven happened, and just you know a lot of things happened. And but one of the things I'm sitting there thinking about, the things I wanted to do was I definitely wanted to have a couch in the shop, a place where people could sit and read. Not something you see in a lot of comic book shops. Of course, now most of the comic book shops have gaming tables and such. Right. Everybody can go to. But I also thought about doing the uh, magazine thing, you know, the library magazine thing in the restroom where there would be a number of books, you know, comic books in those plastic readers so people could sit there and look at the comics without destroying them. But then again, if they're in the bathroom, you wouldn't want to sell them. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that does not sound very appealing. Maybe if you were like the first or second guy, <laughs> you don't you don't want a bunch of geeky guys hanging out in your bathroom for too long. This, That's this right. is true. This is true. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna so cut anyway. in that scene from Clerks where the guy's asking him for the the nudie magazine. <laughs> right here. Oh. Okay. One thirty six. That hey. splash page. I've got a comic book box, a short box with this on it. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's the coolest box I have. It it is an impressive image. And, and it's I mean, been it's, used a lot over the years. I've seen this in a lot of different places, and it should be a poster. That should be like should. A, a fat poster on your wall. That should. It's it's 
I mean, everything about it is just really an amazing, impressive piece. I mean, the it's clear enough that you can see her facial expressions and just love all the the flowing hair and the the bird image is just a really it's really a great uh expression there that i think that i that when you open this when you open this book i mean the cover itself is pretty impressive for one reason and then when you open it it's like wow okay this is really the start of a of an end chapter yeah you guys are stealing my thunder because i i oh actually (laughs) well i actually was gonna i was gonna say i think this page i would have loved to see this be the cover i mean i i like the cover that we got but this is great it is really good. But you couldn't have the it proclaiming the the end of Phoenix with this as your front cover, I think. Yeah, it you yeah, you'd have to rework it. Or maybe you'd the, have, the you'd Phoenix's have talents to, could be gripping everybody instead of the sun. Yeah. I do like the way he's blended her feet into that swoosh. So yes. it looks like that's showing showing a sense of speed and 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 just I guess it's all the energy streaking behind her and her hair, she's got a very Medusa-like hair, and her hair seems to have grown. She seems to have more of it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Lots of V105 treatments. You, you know, mm-hmm. Space is hard on your hair. Lots of volume. I don't Lola know Pulse. that we really touched on this at all much last week, but I think Terry Austin, especially when it comes, I mean, you know, I mean, as, as an anchor, of course, he always does great work. Draw this or something? I ain't getting them also the colors. The guy next to me draws it, but we both came up with the characters. Next. Does that mean you ink it? Well, it means that Holden draws the pictures in pencil, and then he gives it to me to go over and ink. Next. So basically, you just trace. It's, uh, it's not tracing, all right? I had depth and shading to give the image more definition. Only then does the drawing truly take shape. No, 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 no. You go over what he draws with a pen, all right? That's tracing. Not really. Next. Hey, man. Let me ask you something. Somebody draws something and then draw the exact same thing, like right on top of it, without going outside the original designated art. What do you call it? I don't know, man. Tracing? See? You want your book signed or what? Hey, 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 hey. The the work on her hair and everything, well, you got to give Terry Austin a lot of credit for being able to keep that the way Byrne intended. Yeah, yeah his, definitely. His, his inks add depth to it, and I think we we yeah we we touched on that last week about how hard it is to draw, you know, realistic or good looking hair, especially long hair. But he saved a lot of time by drawing Landra's hair just as a square shape. I mean, as a black shape. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> on our next exactly. In our next page, yeah. Um, you know, we've got uh, the uh, four panels here, and, and we've got the the Shi'ar debrief happening, uh, which <laughs> <laughs> the snake, snake men from Masters of the Universe is there. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's it's really just the coming to terms with what uh, you know what's happening here. But yeah, that's the the snake man thing, woman. I don't know. Um, I don't want to apply gender to that snake person. Uh, I, I, if I was looking at that, I would not know which eye to look at. You know, like when some somebody has like a lazy eye and <laughs> you sometimes forget. You know, yeah. I, which still, which of the eight eyes do you look at? Yeah, no, you're right, you're right, and I, I, I still hear Admiral Ackbar talking in a matter of seconds. 
should advance to the supernova stage. <laughs> you know, you, you can't you can't look at that character and not think that after, especially after you mention it. <laughs> but it, you know, the thing about this page is that that I like is that it shows that he he did stay. You know, he adhered to Cockrum's. Uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, design ship and, and design and all this, because a lot of the aliens are ones that Cochrane came up with, and then he threw in some himself. I think this green one here on the far right is the one that we were looking at the other <laughs> last week, saying that was Benny and Cecil, mm-hmm. the War Star. Yeah, but it's not. And then of course we got Gladiator, and I called him Guardian earlier. Gladiator in the back with um, the Mohawk. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at this from a scan right now. I don't have my trade paperback because my son's reading it. That's not a mohawk. That's a max hawk. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> no shame that. in the mohawk right. game. Um, <laughs> so this yeah. is our this is our uh, recapping page. This is telling us everything that's kind of gone on the issue before, and you know because everyone's comic is our first, right? So you got to recap the what's happening so far and uh, I think he actually keeps a pretty good pace with it for to keep it to a one page is pretty impressive for telling the story that we have already and uh, I like I like that it just four panels boom 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 this is it now let's move on yeah and we even get the editor's note at the bottom right see last ish Jim uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the the image of Gene there in the bottom right I just you can picture that, you know, like when kids are pretending to that they're superheroes and they have their arms flexed out from their body and they do that kind of <laughs> that's what she looks like to me is just like flying through the air, like bring it, you know, because mm-hmm. she's all powered up at this point yep. mm-hmm. um, and she's destroyed the Shi'ar ship. You know, she's she's just ready for anything and she looks like it. Isn't that kind of how Carol Danvers is flying now in the film? Does she fly with her arms out like that? Yeah. Sometimes yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a very it's a very powerful pose, right? Because you're you're exposed, you're open, as in you know I'm not not afraid. It's a much more antagonistic pose than say mm-hmm. Superman, who's flying straight ahead with mm-hmm. his arms either to his to his side or straight in front right. of him. Right. On the next page, you know, we continue. Uh, here we have uh, Jimmy Carter um, uh, talking to Jarvis. You know, phoning up the Avengers headquarters, you know, looking for help. Um, and Jarvis has that, you know, oh, my look on his face. <laughs> what do you guys think of when they try, especially in this uh, panel with Carter, when they try to write his his southern draw? Do you I like that when they do that or do you like him? Would you just prefer to just write it straight out? I don't um, mind. it. Yeah, I don't mind it because, you know, part of it, I grew up with rope being written that way. Yeah, Rogue was kind of the first character I had that, you know, they they wrote it with that heavy southern dialect, you know, right. accent. And so when I read reread this page, you know, in preparation for our discussion, I can hear Jimmy Carter's voice mm-hmm. in my head yeah, because yeah. of the way it's written. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. Uh, I like it when if they do it properly, when they try to at least help, help us to understand what the accent or dialect is that a person is using because otherwise my own internal voice takes over and I and I and I think it kind of misses a bit of the character if you can't supplant it with uh, the intention so and here it would be a southern person but 
if I didn't know who Jimmy Carter was, which I grew up with Jimmy Carter as president, uh, so I heard him all the time on television. And if I didn't know that, it would be whatever voice I assign him in my head, which wouldn't probably be Southern because I wouldn't know. So I think it's cool when they when they do that. And I like that they did that with Rogue and when they do that with French characters and, and so much. So I, I think it's uh, helpful. The French characters, though. I mean, the, the problem, though, is that a lot of times when you get French characters, you just get cliche pigeon French. Yeah. I'm French! Why do you think I have this outrageous accent? Well, this yeah. is true. Yeah, that's why I said they, or why I hope they actually take some, a little bit of time to actually do it right. But well, you get a lot of that with, with Colossus, you know, with Tavares and Comrade, and and same with Mike Nightcrawler. They throw in some German words and a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that you, they drew it to have a, a lot of times you get just generic president. Right. Not one that's period specific that kind of dates. This obviously dates the book. Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. I I will say out of all the characters that have played X Men, that uh, Alan Cummings as Nightcrawler was as close to what I've heard in my head all these years when I've read Nightcrawler. And even visually, he looks like it. You know, yeah. like just his stature, right, right, and the way that he carries himself. I I agree. That was it. Was really good casting. You know, they, they they always worry about, you know, you talk about Jimmy Carter, you know, which is very clearly Jimmy Carter. If you're looking at this panel in your book, I mean, for those of us that, you know, um, recall, uh, you know, seeing him, you know, speak, which he's still among us, I shouldn't say, it's not like he's gone. Um, but on TV or in interviews, uh, that sort of thing. I I think that that's all that only happens if you knew who that's supposed to be. Because they don't actually say, right, that it's Jimmy Carter. They just say it's the president. Right. Right. So well, I, right. If a kid yeah. was like, if your kid was reading it today, not knowing who Carter was, would they pick up that this is supposed to be a southern accent? I think they'd pick up it was a southern accent, but I, they definitely wouldn't pick up it was Carter. Okay. I mean, at 14, 15 years old, I knew it was Jimmy Carter because, you know, he was on television at the time and... Uh, and it was big. I mean, actually, we were in an election, about to go into an election year. So, um, yeah. So, but I think most people reading would be able to figure it out. Yeah, I, I be, I'll have to test that. I'll have to let my uh, my 11 year old nephew is very big into comics from uh, from his uncle feeding continually feeding him issues of new comics. You're a good uncle, Dave. I, I got to keep you know. I got to keep the next yeah, generation. Which is right. You got to keep them going. By the way, kids kids today still love comics. They just don't have the easy access to them like we did. They can't afford them. I mean, the thing is, if they were to sell them in mass market like Walmart and Target, they could get the cost down under $2. Yeah, and then they'd sell. Yeah, and then they'd sell. But, you know, right now they're putting these 100-page giants at, the, at, the, at Walmart, and they're not putting them... Where everybody's got easy access. No. It's not an impulse buy. It is kept over with the cards, like Pokemon cards and whatnot. It's horrible placement. And, you know, I've bought a few of those and, and given them to my nephew and, and my niece. So they're pretty close uh, in ages. And, uh, you know, it's a heck of a value for a kid. You know, for us, we've, we've read some of the reprints that are in there. But it's 100 pages, you know, for 5 bucks. you know, which, you know, adjusted for inflation, that's not probably too far off. You know, the old, you know, 80 page and 100 page giants that were a buck or 50 cents. 
Well, I, th- I think a bigger problem with with comics today is not only the price up so much, but the content is so low. You think about it, it's so decompressed that what you get for five bucks is something you can read in five minutes. Oh yeah, we now, we, like, we could go on and on about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those, those hundred page things they're doing is they're taking stories. You know, they're not all brand new stories. Their stories have come from, you know, the last 30, 40 years. Yeah, they're brand new so, to somebody, though. Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's not the it's not the com- the current comics with the decompressed storylines that they're getting. Because they have to be, set for like, four or five one-and-done stories. And so they, they actually have to go back a ways to get that. And, unfortunately, the stories don't complete. They just give them, you know, bits and pieces. That, you know, they give them a story, but... In order to complete that, they have to sit there and go back and find the other books to get the whole whole story. It's the same as it was for us. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, it's, it's not quite as easy because it doesn't tell you, you know, where to go and get it. it no, and Walmart turns over those books, you know, they, they sit there too long. You know, it's like the old uh, newsstand days, right? You know, it, it hits its, you know, it goes past its freshness date and, you know, off it goes so, to be pulped. Yep. You know? gone crazy Sad. all right mo- moving on to the next page well, before, uh, before go we go off there this page right here has actually got a lot of other interesting things in it aside from the fact that you know we got jimmy carter i do think the image of, of lalandra at the top uh, when she says phoenix must be destroyed looks a little odd i mean it's it, it's like something's missing from it and it's well, just a lot of around wrong. her face and, yeah and the eye color. I, I think that was an intentional thing just to kind of give you the, the gravity of it. But it made me feel like something was missing. And then um, just all these, all the stuff in the Avengers, especially Jarvis, the detail on Jarvis's yeah. face in the bottom right-hand corner just adds so much to that. But who is that on the monitor behind Jimmy Carter? I, I thought that was Steve Rogers. I think it's supposed to be the guy in the satellite. Oh, Michael Corbo, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it might be Michael Corbo. That's what I thought. Well, I want to know is how much trouble the Beast get in for leaving his post. <laughs> and why is if this is the super secret, you know, only the president, he says, the president can only activate it only in times of gravest danger. Why is that not piped into some of the other Avengers? I mean, it only goes to this console. It doesn't beep their little, their phone or their beeper or something. I mean... They got to get this this message out. I mean, like this proves Jarvis is not. I mean, uh, Beast is not there. Jarvis is the only one there. So, I mean, what I want to see that the story after you know what's going on with this. I want to know what the story is after everybody shows back up at the Avengers. Like, what's going on? You know, because they don't obviously don't show up to where the X Men are fighting. Well, here's the other thing. It's what it appears to be late at night, right? Hmm. Think okay. so. It's late at night. Nobody's in the mansion. Beast is gone, right? What is Jarvis cleaning up? Was he wiping wiping up the place or dusting or something? Because he comes in with a towel and like he's been cleaning the kitchen. Polishing the silverware. And he might yeah, actually probably. have an, a, an apron on. Um, you know, when you look at that that metal frame, and just like, so what was what was he doing? Well, I this mean, is the Jarvis things. <clears throat> <laughs> There's always something to clean. Yes, yeah, I guess true. so. When, when you've got eight mansion. people living there. Um, so I would think that this takes place either right before the events of Avengers 196 through 200 or just right after. Uh, it can't be at the exact same time because Avengers 199, they were right in the middle of a battle um, 
right in the middle of a battle for New York, and this was when time was all messed up. It was the uh, the whole Marcus yes. thing yeah. with uh, Ms. Marvel, and yeah. Beast was definitely a part of that whole storyline. So this is either right before or right after that, and I would probably imagine it would be right after. You know, I mean, I've read those. I don't recall. I mean, I, I want to go back and look at them again just to see if there's any mention of of that. Yeah, I don't recall if there was any either. A lot of times, unless it was, or most of the time in other books, I don't think Marvel really referenced other storylines very often. Occasionally they would, but uh, occasionally like here, like last issue when they had the Fantastic Four showed up, I don't think that the in the Fantastic Four books they did any kind of a scene that said, "Oh, Phoenix or uh, Professor X is contacting me about some weird entity named Phoenix." So I don't think there was a lot of crossing, but over to each different book. But a lot of times there was references within a book that showed the the continuity within the universe. It's it always very rarely, yeah. yeah. It was very rare. I, always, I had trouble with comics, right? You know, it's you're reading this and you're going, "Where the hell is everybody?" Yeah. Does no one notice, right, what's happened? Yeah. They're, they're all dealing with something huge and cosmic. They can't come help us out. Well, it's 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 like anything. It's These are these are the only heroes available. It's, it's like the Star Trek. Uh, this, you know, the Enterprise is the only ship around. Right. They're the only heroes uh, for this particular uh, 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 emergency. Or otherwise, they would all be showing up at the same time. Oh, you guys got it? Okay, we're going to go back home. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, we got it last time, so you guys get it. We're going to go back home. Yeah. So, um, I, do, I do have to piggyback, Tim, on what you said about Jarvis's comment here. You know, the only only the president can activate it, and only then in times of gravest danger. Mm-hmm. I've never heard it sounded in earnest. Now, the first time I read that, I thought, okay, so he's only heard it when they've tested the system, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but then the second thing was, really, this is the first time, the first time that the president has ever called the Avengers. Really? That Jarvis has heard, but he's been and, pretty and, much from the beginning, right? Right, and, yeah, and and, such earnest. Right, he's heard it weekly before, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Carter was always prank calling him, you know how do I? Yeah, the Avenger. <laughs> the Avengers rescue my farm. <laughs> my my peanuts are in trouble. Now, no. is X Men monthly or bi monthly at this point? Monthly, monthly at this point. It went monthly about one oh nine ten something around that, or in the early teens, I think it is when it went monthly. And that is correct because our issue one thirty five was cover date of July of nineteen eighty and on sale in April of nineteen eighty. So this is the following month. I think when it became the Uncanny X Men is when it went monthly. It, it quite it probably hadn't quite uh, caught on because I know it was. But it was in reprints. It was bi-monthly, wasn't it? It was bi-monthly as they all knew all different for a long time. Um, well, because it had because it, it's easy to look back and go, "Wow, this is became like the hottest book." But I'm sure it took time for that to. For well, it was almost it, so. canceled, right? That's why. I mean, that's why they went to those reprints was because the, the sales were so poor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I just did right. a quick cursory glance at the at the Avengers. And f- basically, from 198 on, would have been matched, you know, uh, X Men 136 on, and no mention. There's no. no that's mention. not that's not a comment. He's never got in trouble. 
Mm-hmm. At least not, uh, you know, not in front. Not, of not, on, not on camera. They they did that off camera. <laughs> yeah. Jarvis just doesn't know that he punched out before he left. If he just would have checked the time cards, he would have known he wasn't there. It's a PTO coming to him. He's going to take some time off. Took some me time. He's like, look, I got some stuff I got to deal with. But he probably got a mark on his permanent record. Right. It's late at night. I mean, it's not like the president's going to call. I'm out of here. Yeah. And just as a note, X-Men went monthly with issue 112 in May of 1978. Mm. With Magneto triumphant. Back in the when they were in the uh, under the ground and in his uh, right before they all and half ended up in Savage Land and half ended up or in Beast and Phoenix ended up coming to the surface. Anyway, 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 we digress. We digress. That's a great shot of the Beast in our top left corner. Yeah, so we're shadows. moving out on the next page for those listening. Hung out. Uh, that's pretty much what I look like when I'm trying to work on something and the kids are running around me. <laughs> And well, I just need five minutes to finish up. <laughs> but I think it's one of those things. We've been seeing a lot of it in the last couple of issues, especially with Gene, where he's doing that reverse shadow to the face. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's a it's a pretty cool effect, and you don't see many other artists doing stuff like that. But it's something he excels at. One of the things that I like, this is a very small detail that probably not a lot of people notice. Beast is sticking his tongue out. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And that, and a lot of times I've seen, especially young people, will stick their tongue out while they're really concentrating or thinking. And it's, I think, I think it's really cool that John Byrne added that small little detail to the Beast's personality that you might gloss over it, might not notice it, but if you really pay attention to the artwork, it's like ah, there's that little bit of a detail that helps give him more character. John, pro tip. There's a lot of adults that still do it too. If you watch them, Michael Jordan did it. <laughs> Jordan did it. Yep. Yeah, and that's what we see on the page here. Is is uh, we've got Beast. Um, Hank is creating the uh, mnemonic scrambler. Uh, we've got uh, Cyclops and Storm in there with him as as he's working on it, trying to finish it up. And uh, we do have the one panel on the bottom that's the lead-in for the next page where we've got Wolverine and Cyclops and Nightcrawler practicing. You know, this this page, yeah, it's got a lot of interesting detail, especially with, um, you know, the, the anguish in the center page, you know, uh, uh, from Cyclops. You know, you could tell he's just exhausted. You know, the, you think about what's what's transpired here in the last 40 pages, um, give or take, you know, the, you, you, as an adult, you can recognize like this is this is a lot for anybody to deal with, even if you're a superhero. And we see a little bit of that guard down here where, you know, uh, a Storm says, I've never heard such pain in Cyclops's voice soon. Now we will have to fight the woman he loves, perhaps to the death. That knowledge is eating him up inside. And and it shows, you know, he Cyclops, you know, is is uh, you know just just distraught, except well, for the next panel where he looks like uh, Steve McQueen walking out of there. He looks more determined. Well, I, I always thought they they wrote uh, Summers as being so stoic, and here he's a little bit of his guard down because mm-hmm. not only is he exhausted as the rest are just from the physical fight, he as you say he's got all this mental anguish. Well, what's he going to do about Gene? You know, the person, you know, this woman he loves, does he have, he's going to have to kill her? Is he going to have to, you know, 
somehow, you know, defeat her, you know, what's going to become of them? So he's got an extra burden on top of just uh, being wrung out from, you know, think about it. They went to the Hellfire Club through Phoenix, and that's yeah. over, what, probably two days? So yeah, I'm sure he's than just, that. More like, yeah. 20, like eight hours. Yeah, so I'm sure he's had, like, no sleep. Yeah. You know? It, it's funny. Him without his glasses or visor on, you know, even though he's squinting, he looks like Dev M from Keith Giffen's Legion of Superheroes. Just my observation. Hey, now, are y'all uh, looking at it from a trade paperback, or or what, what is it you're looking at at this from? As we go? I'm looking at a scan, like a, a recolored scan. Trade. Okay, you've got a recolored scan. I've got a scan of an original copy. Um, and I was wondering, because the top right-hand corner panel, especially Storm, really seems almost weirdly done, because it's got a lot of darkness around her it's almost like you know they're putting her in shadow but not and maybe it's just the way that this is printed and maybe yeah i've got mine she's pretty clear on mine but she's got kind of a the floor looks kind of green it's kind of a shiny green you don't have black lines going up and down yeah but that's just to represent the reflection that makes yeah. it look shiny yeah i got you okay it's weird the way this one looks because it, it 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 almost takes away from her her figure I do like Beast, though, with using his feet as well as his hands. Yeah. I, <laughs> we are on the same wavelength, because I was just thinking, it's a good thing he wears those shorts, because Storm would be getting an eyeful right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My son does that sometimes when he doesn't have a diaper on. He just runs around and hey. check it out. What's wrong with that? <laughs> He loves that freedom. Sexy man, sexy man. Okay. Well, essentially, we have like the three because uh, we, you know, since we're going to the danger, we have like the three. And I think uh, Colossus points in and goes, "There's the three smart X Men, where the where the three not smart X Men." So we're just gonna we're just gonna work out our frustration in the danger room. That's funny. Yeah. You know, which which does fit their character, right? And and that's what we see on the next page is. You know, we've got Nightcrawler, Colossus, Wolverine. They're in the danger room. You know, you get the feeling that, uh, you know, th these are, you know, very strong team members. So that you know that this is not, you know, down on the, on the scale of one to ten. One being, you know, the weak kind of new newbie setting to the team. You know, this this looks very much, you know, a, a high energy, you know, practice. You know, they're having to work, uh, you know, through, you know, obviously through their emotions here and uh you know the artwork is top notch you know because we've got multiple different angles of them uh working together as a team uh to defeat the you know it's like a spinning uh metal thingamajig. Thing, yeah the actual technical term for that is thingamajig <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> the only panel i had a you know an issue with on this page was uh you know, we get some odd dialogue from Wolverine, you know, where he says, uh, beautiful PD, all I have to do is extend my retractable, unbreakable Admantium claws. It's like, we get it, Wolverine. You've got, you know, retractable, you know, un unbreakable Admantium claws. You don't have to tell us every time. We get it. Well, that's like on the first issue. That's like on the previous page where Scott's taking, changing his glasses. I can't open my eyes, even the tiniest <laughs> fraction until I put my 
glasses on or my ruby quartz I have to glass could punch a hole truck size in the wall it's like okay you know, we got it here's this touching moment yeah it's this touching moment with Storm and then we get this bubble of exposition that's like alright Claremont you know do somewhere else or I don't know but yeah someone's first issue gotta explain who they are well, I'm surprised Colossus isn't saying it's a good thing my metal form gives me heightened strength and invulnerability or I wouldn't be able to tear this off you know it's <laughs> But, yeah, I, I kind of miss these days where there was this over-reliance on exposition, kind of explaining in every issue kind of who someone was, kind of explaining the backstory. Uh, I mean, that seemed to be lost. Nowadays, It's 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 much, the dialogue seemed to be much more naturalistic. Yeah, yeah. You know, the comment- for me, looking at word balloons, I never equate them to actual thought. I always equate them to, you know, basically translating that moment for you right you know? you're right yeah yeah i mean it's got to be well you know it's, it's my uh it's why i miss word balloons i mean thought balloons yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's, it definitely is a lost art of putting you know the unspoken into words or trying to you know translate to the reader you know emotion that the character is feeling uh because you know, we get that with colossus here on the, yeah, the anguish down at the bottom just that mm-hmm. the look on his face I mean, that you can't read that as anything but anguish, myself. Now we move on to the next page. Uh, this was the, the main lead-in here in our synopsis. This is Jean coming back to her home. And we get some, some beautiful panels here where she's landing and, uh, you know, coming into the house. I, I have to say, I remember reading this issue as a kid and the third panel scared the bejesus out of me Greek? yeah her face i mean she's her face is still very dark phoenixy yes i mean i i remember as a kid thinking is she is she going there to kill her family because you're not really sure you're not sure what she's doing it's funny because some of the images of gene in this and this few page spread are some of the most beautiful that we've seen. You know, like down at the bottom, that scene of her looking up at her father. Mm-hmm. And then as you go on to the next page, I mean, she's just terrible, but beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the one at the bottom, right? Scary as hell. But Yo, <laughs> she, was like that, a, she looks like a vampire in that, that image. <laughs> But still, the the, the, yep. the panel after the one you're talking about, the panel after the creek, though, where you're seeing the inside of the family's house, and it's just like, you know, another another artist would not have taken the time to draw every right. stick of furniture and the the you know the French doors or the way the stair the stairway was, and you can you know you can see all the the various bits and pieces the books on the bookshelves mm-hmm. knickknacks and whatnot mm-hmm. this is you know someone that that and you know maybe he took a picture of a house one time it actually looks like darren and samantha stevens's house if you it look is. at <laughs> it is doorway stairwell that was the, little... the model he used for it that's the, right the batwing doors into the kitchen yeah yeah exactly um, <laughs> well, I also like about this, and you can kind of read this two ways. I know, I don't think when they wrote this that they thought, well, we're going to kill her off, and then how can we resurrect her if we have to? Mm-hmm. But the way they do it, by that being a duplicate, and this obviously what we're looking at now is not the real Jean Grey, 
Yeah. But some of the dialogue, I know they're playing on the duality that, well, she's becoming Dark Phoenix, but some of Jean Grey still exists, so that those two sides are kind of fighting. But you can also read it as this is not Jean Grey. It is a duplicate who isn't is just has the residual memories of Jean Grey. Yeah. So I think it works both ways with what they retcon later. You know it does. And in an article I read in the back of my 30th edition here, which I think came from Marvel Age, was that uh, when they first wrote wrote this story, they were supposed they were supposed to create it that she was being possessed by something. But it didn't translate quite well, so um, I think that was kind of lost. But and now that it's been retconned after the the whole X Factor revitalization, what five years later, that it makes sense. So you're right; it does kind of make sense. But I'm not I'm not quite sure if Claremont was had that in mind or if Byrne was having that in mind as to whether or not it was really Gene possessed by something. But I definitely don't think it was a different a different entity that it was inhabiting her body that they were thinking of. That no, I don't kind of so came from Buziak, Kurt Buziak. But I think it was that she was being possessed or influenced somehow. Yeah. Well, it's it's a little uh, Gary Mitchell like. You know, she's got now. Uh, ultimate power and she's being take you know corrupted by it yeah and and that's how i always viewed it uh, back then was that the solar flares amped her mutant abilities to their full potential or just empowered her even more and then she just got seduced by the power and kind of took up and got taken over by it well and you get you get that on uh one two three four that the fifth panel where it says gene gray is a gentle loving woman who cared so much for those she loved that she defied death itself to save them. Phoenix is a destroyer of worlds who cares only for herself. Yet Jean Grey is dark Phoenix. So that there's that duality again of mm-hmm. light and dark. And let's remember, right? This is titled Child of, Child light, of light, light and Darkness. Yeah. It's interesting, the final panel there, that he puts such a human emotion face. You can almost see her relief at seeing her father in that picture when he says, who's there? And she's like, and then her just slight joking, would you believe the Wicked Witch of the West? And you could just think that that's that, oh my gosh, I'm home, and things are just so out of control, I need my daddy. And that, and he does really good at, I think, creating that that, just that panel alone, you're just like, She's she's so happy to see her daddy. She's a little girl again. Well, look at the yeah, the next page in the top left where they're kind of greeting each other. Look how soft her face is. She, yes. She's Jean Grey again then. Yes, yeah, absolutely. very much. And that's what uh, John was talking about. I agree yeah. wholeheartedly that innocence of... It's almost like, like you said, you know, a daughter seeing, you know, her, her dad and, you know, the eyebrows... Are, are not, you know, at, uh, you know, furrowed, you know, which previously, right, the the panel right before this one, I think we had talked about the phoenix being passion. Yeah. Uh, and you can see that. She looks very seductive there in that panel. Mm-hmm. Right? Very seductive. And then, boom, the next second, right, she switches back, which, you know, all credit to, to Byrne being able to draw that, that different emotion on her face. That's You're right, and he's able to accomplish it with with such few um, lines drawing. I mean, look at the the on that top left panel, 
Just the shape of her eyes, the eyebrows, yeah. the shape of her mouth, the shape of her face shows you the joy that she has. Whereas mm-hmm. on the final panel there, I mean, it's completely, you see that she's lost all of that completely. And Well, yeah, and but it's because I think this is where the gene part of her is taking control again. Trying to find some respite in going to her home, right? At first, we weren't sure what she was doing at the house. Was she there for good intentions or bad intentions? And it becomes clear that she's there to try and reground herself to get, I think, back control, right? By being someplace that's safe. It's safe to her, right? We all have that that memory of home. And so she's home. She has this interaction with her dad, and it's immediately evident that everything is going to hell, right? Because she says, oh, no, please, no. My telepathic power is so sensitive, I can't block out Dad's thoughts. He's an open book to me. Nothing secret, nothing sacred anymore. And so as she's interacting with, you know, in the next panels with her mother and her sister, you know, we, we all put up that front as family members when something is wrong with someone, but yet we don't show it. She's reading all of their thoughts, and she knows they're saying all the right things, but their real thoughts are that they're scared. They're terrified of you. They're mm-hmm. terrified. Yeah. And, and you think about that. If that was your family, I mean, that would kill you inside. Absolutely. And, and I just think that John Byrne is doing a great job of showing the progression of that. Uh, look at the way it's drawn on the page from panel one, panel three to panel five. Mm-hmm. Just that diagonal thing, just those three images of her face alone, you see her transforming right before your very mm-hmm. eyes on this page. It's really excellent artwork, I think. Amazing artwork. And he does such a good job at showing that transformation from Jean Grey, happy to see Daddy, to I can't block this out anymore, and you guys are driving me crazy, to okay, that's it, you're toast. I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm just going to do you in right now. <laughs> I've got a very technical question to ask right here, though. Look at the floor on the bottom left-hand corner panel. The shag. That's how a zip How do you do that? Is, is it that zip That's got to be a zip Look at it, I think. Because, you know, it's something that we see in a lot of burn books, but we don't see... I mean, maybe maybe Terry Austin, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure that we see stuff like that elsewhere. And so I, I wonder, you know, like, like he seems to be one of the few where you actually see that, mm-hmm. uh, not like, just here, but you know, like, the, you know, the, the the different designs and everything, the clothes that that uh, uh, was it Proteus's father wore, mm-hmm. had, the, had the weird patterns and such on. Yeah. And, you know, and we've seen Byrne do this in the last couple issues where he adds this extra little bit of detail that helps it to feel a little more real. Yeah, I think. Um, it pointed out like Xavier's sweater, right? Right in that one scene, didn't have to add the little extra detail to make it look fluffy, you know, or that you could tell it was fluffy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did, you know. Same with the floor. Adds, I mean, to me, that looks like shag carpet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And and he's consistent. It was in the previous panel, yeah. lower left, and it's in the next page, um, middle right. So he kept that consistent the whole time. So he, you know, was creating that little, just that tiny bit of the detail there. I want to ask uh, the middle panel when the mother, her mother says, you look, um, uh, you look thin, Gene. Are you eating enough? You think that was written with a little bit of tongue in cheek? 
because she's just consumed a star, or is that? I mean, I know it's something a mother would. It's kind of a cliche thing a mother would say, but when I read that, I, I couldn't help but think she just consumed <laughs> the entire star. No, she's not. not. She's That's been eating funny. pudding. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I think it's just something a mom would say to her. Yeah, I do, but it's especially when. Uh, she could tell that Jean's troubled, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Especially to show up in the middle of the night wearing a strange costume. And, I mean, the, I mean, for all they know, the last time they saw her, she was Marvel Girl. If if they even knew that she was a superhero, I don't... Oh, yeah, the she was. The sister doesn't seem like she knew it. Yeah, but actually, I remember it was X-Men 114 or something that she actually revealed that she was Phoenix. So she did reveal to her parents that she was Phoenix. So she, they're sh- she's showing up in a completely different costume in the middle of the night, very worried and excited to see dad. So she, so mom knows that something's wrong with her little girl. And well, I think like that's all, just... Like, like all families, right? Mom didn't keep her mouth shut. Right? <laughs> the sister said, that costume. It's true then. What my mom told me, you are some kind of superhero. Damn it, mom. I like in the, uh, the the next page over where she turns the plant to crystal. Uh, when she's using her power, you see her hair. It's like it's like this energy around her, static or something. Her hair's, you yeah. know, this shows like there's some kind of her her, her uh, sash is flowing. Mm-hmm. So she's same direction, yeah. Yeah. So she's she's emanating some kind of force when she's using her power. Uh, I thought that was a nice touch. A good tra- I, good transition, by the way. Yeah. To the next page. Still, the father, you know, basically <laughs> getting angry, angry at his daughter and not only just, you know, denying her, but casting her out. You know, when your daughter just shows you you're all, uh, she's all powerful, I think that's the last thing you want to do. No, <laughs> but I give him credits for standing up to her. I mean, yeah, true, true. But this is old school mom and dad, right? I mean, look at them. The dad's right in the robe and so is mom and, and sister. You know, dad's got slippers on, hands are, you know, in, in the the side pockets. You know, dad is 70 Stan Lee without glasses. That is <laughs> Right. You know, but I, I do love his his line there. You know, she turns the plant to crystal. You know, he's like, good grief. <laughs> you know, today, right, there'd be the little uh, swear word or curse word, you know, with the little asterisks and hashtag marks. But- <laughs> WTF. Right, you know, but he's like, oh, good grief. I've told you no turning plants into crystals in the house. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to make the note that I do have that mantle clock that they have and that roll-top desk. Oh, awesome. <laughs> now, you, now you just need the crystal plant you got to set. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Try to convince your wife to let you do that. <laughs> she would probably use it as a Christmas tree. <laughs> I, I, I do I, like when the, the father, to me, kind of reminded me kind of a, 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 a discount. Uh, Thunderbolt Ross, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, when he says, did "I you can't," just call you know, him a poor man's Thunderbolt Ross. <laughs> that's what I did. When he says, "I cast you out," I deny you. That reminds me all the world of um, Mobius from Forbidden Planet when his id is coming through the door and he's trying to trying to uh, give it up or trying to deny his other self. Yeah, I, I agree, and and we've got the heartbreaking. Uh, you know, from Gene's perspective, right? This is everything has gone wrong, right? And he he's yelling at her. You can tell that by the way his hair is tussled, right? And uh, the expression on his face. You know, who are you? What are you? In heaven's name, what do you want from us? As in, like you, you are not, you know, our daughter, 
like you said, you know, casting her out. And, and it really is setting up, you know, the, the X-Men couldn't have asked for any better setup because, you know, as she's losing this, or what we're led to believe is losing kind of this last bit of connection um, to those that she loves, um, she flies out, which, you know, not, not to, to make light here, but I, the first thing I thought was, man, did she fly out that bay window? That's going to be expensive to fix. <laughs> You know, couldn't she have just walked out the door? But she, you know, they have this confrontation and she flies out and boom, Nightcrawler is on her. You know, because she knows something is going on and, and really it's because her powers, right, are have flared up. She notices the fog and she's pissed off because of what's happened with um, her family. And uh, she goes out, out the window only to be jumped on or pounced on by Nightcrawler with the uh, mnemonic scrambler. Mm-hmm. The neuro neutralizer. Yes. Neuro neutralizer. <laughs> <laughs> and we a great have to expression. Pull up that audio file, aren't we? <laughs> great expression on Jean. You can really tell there she's she's surprised. She was not expecting mm-hmm. it. Uh which is probably hard for someone that thinks they're omnipotent and omnipresent, right? To be caught off guard. <clears throat> we get some nice punchy-punchy uh, punchy run run the next page. <laughs> yep, Nightcrawler's but- successful in placing the device on her head. Um, she's talking us through, right, what's what's happening to her. Uh, you know, Nightcrawler is getting out of there. He, he lands on Beast. Gene uh, is in agony as uh, the device is battling her, um, and and here we still see you know the empathy from her teammates, right? Nightcrawler saying that scream, um, you know, it's hurting her. As you know, you kind of w- wonder like, well, what did you think was going to happen? You know, that she would just put it on and be like, oh, hey, I'm back, guys, thanks. <laughs> well, she- what's amazing is she still puts up a pretty good, I guess, physical fight. Mm-hmm. She's not. I mean, I, I don't know if she's augmenting her. Her, her, her strength with her own mental powers because she seems to be taking on Colossus and kind of dishing out to him pretty good. Well, I, I was I'm taking a look at that and I'm thinking if if you can take one leg and do that with Colossus, that's a pretty powerful person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and flying and then moving. Obviously, he, she took out a tree. So Colossus has got to weigh at least the weight of a, a small truck, right? In his metal form or a car. I mean, that's some pretty that's some pretty powerful stuff she's got there. Yeah. She works out. Yeah. Okay, she, she could be augmenting it with her telekinesis, so that could be... Oh, yeah, I'm sure she is, but still, yeah. to me, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's just, especially considering she's she this thing is scrambling her brain, she can hardly think straight. Yep, yeah. and she tells us that my mind is on fire. Can't and you get the dot the dots right? Which I always love the the pause. Right? Can't concentrate. <laughs> can't use psi powers. <laughs> Nevertheless, she kicks his butt. She does. Yeah. And that moves so, us into the. It is losses. Yeah. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I I love Colossus. I think he's a he's a great character, and he's written really well back in his day. But he got his ass handed to him a lot. No, he was a he was still a teen. He was like what eighteen, nineteen. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, he's the tank character, right? He's supposed yeah. to take the beatings. Yeah. The brick. The brick. You, you, you heard my first role-playing experience with superheroes, didn't you? <laughs> if you've listened to past shows, it's like I, I tried playing like champions and villains and vigilantes. And um, in champions, I, I rolled up a, a brick as my first character. And he punched once so hard that he knocked his own self unconscious. <laughs> and I, I was just like, this is so unrealistic. That's so stupid. I can't believe anybody would ever do that. And so I quit playing that game. And so naturally, a couple of years later, Superman died by punching so hard that he, he died. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, one of the episodes of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, I had the X-Men, Colossus is trapped in a room with, you know, the episode with Siberiad. Uh, he's in a room, I think, with Vibranium or something. He punches so hard, the uh, the force reflected back causes him to change into his human form. Well? Mm. Hmm. Yeah. And we have the the battle moving on from Colossus here on the next page to Storm uh, is coming in to try and and you know uh, bring Phoenix down and it doesn't go very well. Uh, she tells tells us that uh, Jean won't yield uh, that uh, uh, evil as evil as she is. Storm is still having a hard time seeing past that because that's her friend Jean Grey uh, and Jean tells her that she's closer you know that Storm is closer to her than um, her own sister but uh, she won't hesitate to strike her down yep. she, and I she does weep over your grave yeah, that's, that's pretty a, cold hearted yeah. yeah I can't imagine <laughs> saying that in you know conversation to one of your friends <laughs> Try to work. Try to work that in your next conversation. <laughs> you want to go grab a coffee at Starbucks? I will weep over oh, your grave. Great. <laughs> what? So is that a yes or no? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Let's go. Um. And taking out the X Men one by one. Basically, she is and almost like a cat toy. What's that? Beast only made one of those. Now I get Prototype. this picture of, of Samwise from. Uh, Lord of the Rings, and sure you don't get one of them glowing diadem things. Yeah, you know that's one of the interesting parts of this of uh, this whole saga is we're continually reminded of how effective the X Men are when they're working together as a team, mm-hmm. like you know being sa- you know saving each other when they were falling out of uh, the ship in last issue, and then um, uh, I think it was last issue where they were sitting at the the table, right? Kind of licking their wounds and Mm -hmm. and talking to each other. And here, right. I think we're being shown again that everything's kind of gone to hell because they're, as you said, that it's one-on-one. None of them are powerful enough to take her out on their own. You know, she's just taking them out one-on-one. This is exactly what she would want for the fight. Well, and I think they're all a little reluctant to to cut loose because it is Gene. They don't want they don't want to. I mean, the the, the very next scene where Wolverine basically says, "Well, I you know I know what I have to do," and he plans on killing her. Yeah. And when it comes to the point where she 
you know, Gene comes back, and I don't. I wonder if that was the Phoenix doing that on purpose to cause him to hesitate, or that's just uh, her fighting so hard to come back and telling. But because she does, she comes back and says, "You, you know, you've got to kill me. You've got to do it." And then he falters, and then that's all it takes, and she just blows him away. And we had already seen, right? I'm. I sometimes get mixed up in my X Men storylines, but it had already been revealed, right, that he. That Logan has feelings, yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's been hinted at throughout. Nothing as obvious as, say, the X Men animated series, (laughs) 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 or later. But during all of this, there's there was just like a panel where he'd be walking away, thinking, "Oh, Gene, I love you," or something like that. Or, uh, but it wasn't. uh, So there was always this unspoken. in the in the right after she became Phoenix, there was a sequence where Logan was buying flowers and stuff and going to see her. Now was that that was Cockrum though, wasn't it? Wasn't that yeah. part of the storyline? And then that he was, saw her yeah. with Cyclops and it's just like ah crap. You know? Yeah, and then he tossed him into a trash can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there was always these little, just like one panel things that would kind of hint that he has the hots for Gene. Uh, well, we never really saw a lot of her reciprocating it or thinking that she was interested in him. Well, Until and, uh, classic X-Men reprints with the extra stories in it. Yeah. Well, we haven't retconned that he, as James Howlett, fell in love with the redhead. And that, I guess, is supposed to explain why he's so drawn to Gene. Ah, okay. Yeah, but, you know, again, all that... Any, any of that stuff was basically ignoring... The history that Byrne was trying to sit there and put together. The history that Byrne had was that he was actually born in like the twenties, fought in World War Two. Uh, they, they had intended on having a scene where Cap would see him and, and call him Corporal Logan, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. But you know, it never came to fruition. You know, and they, yeah, I mean, they changed a lot um, of things about Wolverine. You know, basically how his claws and skeleton actually work. If you look in uh, Days of Future Past, when, spoiler, Wolverine gets fried by the Sentinel. Mm-hmm. When his skeleton falls to the floor, it looks more like a Terminator-type skeleton than, yeah. than you know, what what they actually made it out to be later. Because later they, they made it more just, you know, his bones were laced with the adamantium. Uh, and, you know, Magneto pulls it out in slivers. But... You know, of course, what he, what Bernie given him was, you know, was much, much more, basically a replacement for that skeleton. Wolverine is kind of like the Joker to me. That I I like his, I always liked his origin being nebulous. Mm -hmm. You know, or you're never quite sure. You know, is this part? Is it partly true? Is it all true? What you're being told Mm -hmm. is none of it true. Uh, Which reminds me, there is a Joker story coming up where we. They may be trying to do a you know a definitive origin for the Joker, and much like Wolverine, I think it's just better left unknown, right? Or you're never quite sure if it's the whole story. Yeah, I agree. I don't mind if the author has an idea in his head or her head, but uh, when it gets to the page, I kind of some some characters work well when you know what their origin is, and some characters like Wolverine, as you guys have said work well with having that glimpse and pieces here and there that you never can put everything together you always just have a little part of it 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 was the same thing for me with uh the new teen titans with raven 
I didn't really want to know her whole story. I liked having her always wearing the shroud and never seeing her full face. So with Wolverine, it was kind of the same thing. It was like when they started exploring his past, it was like, oh, okay, TMI. I don't, just that's that's when the fans actually started writing the stories. And I think you know, Casada himself was a fan, and so he was, you know, just it was it's too much fan service. He went too far. Giving mm-hmm. that history, yeah. Well, and Wolverine has always been the one person in the X Men that you could really count on, for lack of a better phrasing, to do what others won't. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have in that third panel, uh, like that transition, Tim. That was smooth. Yep. Uh, you know where she where he says, you know, she's she's still too strong for us. There's that that uh, dialogue, right, to give us the the accent. Uh, and getting stronger all the time, I got no choice. I got to end this now, permanently. And he says, forgive me, darling. You know, so I, I remember reading that and thinking, he's going to kill her. This is it, right? Because I, I was very disciplined, you know, <laughs> not looking at the, the other panels, uh, you know, that, that this was it. He was going to do it. He, he was going to do what everybody else couldn't. And like Tim said, right, we get this, the bottom panels here where, uh, where Gene, we get, we go back to much like the scene with the dad, um, the big eyes again, we've got tears, you know, she's, you know, uh, again, not the, the, uh, the passion or lustful, um, or partially demonic looking Gene. She's, she's very innocent and she's begging him to, to kill her. I, Tim, to answer your question that you posed earlier, I I don't know. I, I think it's purposely left open as to whether that was a fate by the Phoenix Force so that Logan wouldn't kill her, or that it really was Gene. I want I want to I want to believe that it's really Gene coming through. She's fighting. I think they're fighting. I think uh, so too. Yeah. The whole time that and it, that makes it more heartbreaking that. She's only able to hold on for, uh, again, I'm bringing it back to Star Trek. When Kirk's fighting um, uh, Gary, when he's got the, you know, one of his omniscient powers are, you know, his eyes return normal and Kirk's about to smash him with a rock, he hesitates. And the same thing happens to him. So, but I think we, you would. I mean, I, I mean, let me ask you this. If this was Kirk possessed, I mean, uh, you know, um, Nightcrawler or Cyclops, would Wolverine have hesitated? <clears throat> Is it because he's in love with her that he can't kill her in that moment? Totally. Totally. And a Cyclops, I think he would have a problem. <laughs> he would stick Cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's dead three pages ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean I think it. As much as we all try and uh, you know work towards you know gender equality and. You know the sexes being equal. There's very much something in this in this in this page here where she's vulnerable, right? And Wolver- I mean, Wolverine is very clearly ready to strike her down. And here you have Jean back, and she's a woman, right? And she's vulnerable, and it causes him to pause. So to your point, I think if it was a man, he would have killed him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. This mm-hmm. next page, though, uh, as we go into, there's a couple things I'll note. Number one, 
um, years later when Byrne does West Coast Avengers and uh, Scarlet Witch goes nuts and does her whole thing, it makes me think a lot of this particular page and sequence, especially the bit with Colossus. Mm. Uh, You know, the infamous thing with Wonder Man. Um, Mm. The other thing, the very top panel. Now, when I'm sitting there, I was looking at this scan I have. It looks like there's a rock right there beneath there. (laughs) There is. (laughs) My son gave me my tray paperback, and it looks more like that was supposed to be the thigh gap, but it just didn't look right. Oh, I thought you were talking about the rock to the left. <laughs> you thought there was a rock, like, right in between her legs? Well, I, I, it, again, you know, the, the, the scan itself, mm-hmm. again, is someone took a scan probably 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so the book has aged some and faded some, and, and you know, it, it's made the, the pages not look their very best. Yeah. So I, you know, I got my trade paperback out and looked at it and said, "Okay, well, that looks like that could be something else." Yeah. yeah so we should say differentiate her legs, her stance. Yeah, she works out. She's proud of that. Yeah. You know, gap. Uh, <laughs> we should say that yes. On the previous page, she blasts Wolverine. He goes flying off, and she rips Hank's device off her head, and. and she looks again very scary. She's pissed that's off. That's a scary. Yeah, it's a scary panel. She yep. looks. She's pissed, um, and the device just is obliterated. Just melts away. And uh, as Brian said on the next page, uh, we have Gene. All the X Men now have a glowing uh, field around them, and it says, "With a thought, she freezes the five of them where they stand, instantly transforming them into living statues." So basically, this is a I'm done with this. It was fun playing with you guys. You know, you guys had your fun. I'm done. That's 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 how I took that. You know, she does, but she she takes her time with. It's interesting with Colossus, and she almost looks more evil in that lower left panel where she's looking up oh, at yeah. Colossus because she's now toying with him. Well, she's, look, not, she's got she's got her head tilted. Yeah. It, it, it's like someone that doesn't understand what's going on with the, with them. It's like a dog. Um, you know, you tilt a head. It, it, it's, she's alien. Mm-hmm. She's not Jean. And it's, it, as a result, you know, she's got that curiosity of what, what, what is all this about? Well, and, and there are, there's no pupils, right, in yeah. this panel. And at, at first I thought maybe it was a mistake, but if you look at the next page, they're not there again either. So I think that's purposefully done to show, I mean, she's, Jean is suppressed, gone right now. Phoenix is totally in control. Yeah, she's got that Joker-like grin. She looks like the, the girl from uh, Sleepaway Camp at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and the rest of the page, you know, she uh, has her talk with Cyclops because he's trying to appeal to her. Uh, and she just shuts him down. Um, you know, and in fact, she says, any last thoughts, little brother in, in air quotes or in quotes before final sentence is passed. Basically, I'm going to kill you. You want, you want to say anything as your last words. Um, and then we have Cyclops in the final panel, um, you know, appealing to Jean, you know, stop it, Jean. And, um, I thought she was pretty sarcastic here where she says i was wondering when you turn up as in like <laughs> you know as kind of the secret weapon or as the 
the, yeah, last to arrive on the right. scene. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And he so was, we we have that talk between them on the next page, you know, and, and she's she's hoping that he's come to fight. And he basically says, you know, that he wants to talk to her and that if she wants to fight, go ahead and just kill him. You know, which is probably the smart play with her because, again, none of them, you know, even, uh, you know, individually is strong enough to take her down. And, and uh, even as a team, right? I mean, her power levels are so off the charts that it's pretty much pointless trying to fight. And here we have a pretty emotional, you know, discussion. I, I really love this page with him. Mm-hmm. It's a gutsy move for him to just to walk up there and mm-hmm. be as honest with her as he can. You know, when people say that Cyclops is uh, not a good character, he's not he's not a good leader. I mean, this this is being a leader. This is being a hero. He's he's walking into this. He knows that she could easily kill him, but he's kind of on her bluff, and he's like, yeah, yeah you know, do it if you can. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, you know, she says, you know, you, you couldn't kill us, you know, we live. Why? And she goes, you're not worth killing. And it's in the, the thing, and her hair's up, so you know that is Phoenix. Yeah. Talking to him. And yet, if they're not worth killing, why did she come all the way back to Earth? And why was she hungry, as Scott put it in the last issue? And it's interesting, you see here, This remember the progression we talked about in the gray living room, where she went from soft happy gene to dark phoenix here we're seeing her revert the other way from dark mm-hmm. phoenix in the upper left center you see her softening up and then in the bottom you see almost the exact same type of expression with scott that she had with dad a couple of pages ago so again john byrne uses this great progression just in facial expression and facial design from creating ravage, hungry, power-thirsty, no care for anybody, Dark Phoenix, down to Jean Grey at the very bottom. So desperate, too. Just uh, the look on her face. It, I mean, just that, that look that almost makes me cry. And I'll tell yeah. you, I've been so spellbound by that image there of her and the desperation in her face. I have never noticed until tonight... Professor X and Angel off in the corner in silhouette. Oh, yeah. I never noticed I haven't that, noticed that either. Tonight. I didn't notice it either. Good good catch. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think part of that is, like you said, you know, her, you're so drawn on this page, not only because of the art, but the, the dialogue. You know, Cyclops is, I mean, he, he's putting everything out there to try. I mean, he knows this is this is the last chance they're getting. Yeah. Now you do notice, of course, them flying up in the ship above <laughs> Jean's shoulder. I mean, it, it's very obvious. It's, it's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. The other piece is so subtle, and mm-hmm. you know, next to what's going on there and everything, it, it, it. I mean, I'm surprised I missed it, but at the same time, I understand. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting the the lack of detail that John Byrne creates here emphasizes her face. Here you have just a splash of color on Cyclops's visor and her Phoenix logo, and then her face and the highlights in her hair just focuses all of your attention into that, really, that center yeah. part. You're drawn right to her face. You're drawn right to that. And so it's easy to, to not notice those little squiggly lines that actually are <laughs> the angel's wings, you know. But 
Yeah, it's a really it's an excellently designed panel. Uh, it is, and the, the like I said, the, the dialogue here, your existence, your very creation springs from love, from the noblest emotions a human can attain. And now you want to deny that to deny yourself. So you know, I, I called out Professor X in the synopsis, but uh, you know, I never caught them in silhouette there. So may, maybe in this case, you know. Uh, since Professor X was monitoring this discussion between, you know, this last appeal between Cyclops and, and Jean, you know, which she tells him, I, you know, I hunger, Scott, for joy, a rapture beyond all comprehension. That need is part of me, too, and it consumes me. Uh, you know, maybe Professor X was right, you know, that it, Cyclops, it wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's too late. So he knew this was the one chance here to, as we turn the page, we turn the page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know the the thing is is that Cyclops was talking her down. He was actually getting somewhere with that, but still, it's not like she would sit there and say, "Oh, okay, go ahead and lobotomize me, or go ahead and <laughs> neuter me of my <laughs> power." So there is no way getting around Professor X is going to have to sit there and do that at some point mm-hmm. anyway. Right, and she's already shown that she can't maintain the control for long. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like that that kid in, with, that Billy Mummy played in the Twilight Zone. Yeah. You, you take the little sucker off and you're off to the cornfield. <laughs> I mean, and that, that's the same thing with Jean. If she, like, breaks a nail, like, oh, my gosh, Bow bets her off. <laughs> so, right. Um, it's, you know, anything could just turn her you know just turn her off she could be battling magneto and or any even type of supervillain, and they just suddenly she loses control because she you know lost lost a mental moment of taking care of it and then she could just be devastated so yes anything could set her off i think and i think professor xavier knew that uh scott was hoping not and he was hoping he could talk her down, but Xavier, I think, really realized that it, that was not possible. Well, and, well, and I said to what Tim had brought up mm-hmm. earlier in the pages, just a, a couple pages ago, about whether or not, you know, is that really Gene coming through, or is that the Phoenix Force manipulating? I I think this whole story up to this point, we've seen the you know the potential manipulation of the emotions between these characters. Uh, you know, over and over again, as, uh, you know, either Gene has come out or the Phoenix has let Gene come out for a brief time. So, it's, it's, I mean, it's really hard to trust, mm-hmm. you know, is is this really working or not? Because we just saw her playing with Cyclops, you know, playing with his emotions and not really giving a damn at all. Well, I, yeah, I think you. It's, it's like she's got multiple personalities and you would have to you'd have to know what would set off. What would trigger an alternate? So I think it's what they refer to him now. Uh, but at one point, would you, like you say, you couldn't trust her because at one point, would the Phoenix Force get wise to that and start acting like good Gene? Mm-hmm. You can you can never trust her. No, so, right? Exactly. That's why Professor X had to mind blast her. Yeah, and that's that's what we have on the page. So Gene is is in um, you know an agony here as. Professor X, you know, uh, rolls up on the scene. No pun intended. <laughs> um, where, where I gotta he, say, I love, <clears throat> yeah. I love this effect. 
that that John Byrne put with Jean Grey kind of in the silhouette and just in these two colors. It's it reminds me of the the Neil Adams storyline way back in X Men I don't know sixty something with the Xenox aliens where they were all coming together where Cyclops was channeling his power into Lorna Dane or or something like that to to, to get rid of the the aliens. And it was a really super cool effect. And this is, I think this, I don't know if Neil Adams created this effect and John Burns just uh, copying it or if it was just kind of a standard throughout the, the comic industry. But I just love this two-tone basic outline effect for this type of attack. It's really cool. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, Professor X, right, because, uh, of course, Cyclops is shocked. Um, much like us, he didn't realize that Angel and the professor were rolling up on the scene and uh, he, he literally does mind blast her. And he said he had no alternative, but he knows it's not going to last for long uh, because within seconds, you know, Jean is up and she is pissed off, you know, mm-hmm. the look on her face. That's like, that's like every woman's look, um, <laughs> you know, again, not being sexist, but just that, that betrayed look of, <sighs> you know, she is, she is mad and she just basically slaps Cyclops out of the way. Uh, and and essentially tells him let the adults play. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and she she blasts Professor X, and he's on the ground. And that's to me that that always seemed like a okay. You hit me once, I'm gonna hit you once. See how you like it. I love how the blast goes through the counter and the, the letter A. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the word in Zam. Yeah, right? that's cool. And she I've tells. Always- she tells oh. Professor X, right, too, you, you have yeah. just signed your death, death warrant. <laughs> I've always wondered when you see stuff in comics where somebody's getting, like, blasted, and what's he getting blasted with? Is he getting blasted with heat? Is it force? Is it radiation? Because it tore apart, tore his clothes, it gave him, like, a bump on his head, tore apart his, his wheelchair, but for the most part, he's not really hurt. I always sure. felt like it's a, it's, it's, the coloring is for our benefit. But I always felt like it was like force energy. Just the force? Yeah. yeah. Use the force. <laughs> radiation. <laughs> because if that was radiation, uh, yeah, he'd just be a pile of bones. But, yeah, you know, but it's... she uses the force, she can come back from the dead. Oh, wait. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Strike me down, I'll be... No. <laughs> so, yeah, so they, they on this page right here, here's the setup for the battle between Professor X and Jean... Um, she's back to, you know, no pupils, hair's flared. We've got the energy around her. Again, this pink and red energy around her. And the next page we see, I mean, she she lights up the night, um, mm-hmm. you know, with the Phoenix Force behind her, flaming. Um, and she, she, you know, makes this declaration, basically. I am... What was, what is, what will be the Black Angel Chaos Bringer? I am power. I mean, right there, if I was Professor X, I'd be like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> looks like uh, I bit off a little more I could chew, and uh, we'll see you later. Well, yeah, it's not like he can run away, but. Uh... Oh, too, <laughs> and, and too I, soon. I hear George Costanza in my head. That's it, I'm out of here. <laughs> well, I, I love the, the way he's done the panels with. He's pulling back on Phoenix and he's zooming in on uh, Professor X. Yeah, uh, and her her power just 
you know, it looks like it's just engulfing everything. Uh, and that little tear goes down, you know, down. It, it's, uh, it's actually pretty powerful that because you don't see the fight like he did with when he was fighting, um, what's his Jason name? Farouk. Jason yeah. Wackard. <clears throat> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you saw that, you saw their astral plane warriors, whatever. <clears throat> Here you can just imagine what's going on between the two. Uh, and you kind of see the result, I guess, the next page, which looks like, I don't know, some kind of maelstrom going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think by now some other superheroes would have showed up like, going, what the hell is going on? Yeah, uh, I, I, to, before we move on to the next page, I do have to point out the dialogue there. I, I gave Gene, you know, some time, but Professor X has a pretty dang good follow up. And this is, you know, where Claremont is a master, right? She, she ends with her declaration, right? With I am power. And he, he says back to her, power without restraint, knowledge without wisdom, age without maturity, passion without love. I must fight you. I must. I will win. You know, so I think he, he gives back just as good mm-hmm. as he got. You know, um, in, in past days, I had I had a voice for Professor X uh, in my head. Now I just hear Patrick Stewart reading. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a Picard speech. It is. It's appropriate. It's a Picard speech. You know, it's it's like Kirk saying, uh, uh, "Compassion of all things, a god must have compassion." <laughs> compassion. Excellent. Yeah, next... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey. Oh you guys still god. there? Somebody yeah. fall down? My Not keyboard, <laughs> uh, the the tray holding my keyboard and mouse just collapsed. Uh, <laughs> from radiation. <laughs> from something, that's for sure. Fortunately, uh, it didn't kill anything. The no, you're still coming in good. Maybe they're having a psi battle. <laughs> and that's and that's uh, as Tim pointed out. That's what we have going on here. We have this enormous energy being exchanged between the two of them battling, and it's all it's represented by is the cityscape, which is completely dwarfed by this energy yeah. over top of it representing the battle that's happening between gene and professor x I, I think it's also it shows just how powerful professor x is and why he's the you know the most powerful powerful the uh, telepath on the planet and i guess apparently her her clothes are a manifestation of her power because when she loses her power she's naked <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, that's the running joke, right? Professor X, he's such a powerful telepath, but he can't make those legs work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how powerful are you now? I just hope it's not a, a byproduct of that unhealthy uh, affectation he has for young Gene. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, you know, yeah. That's, we... that's the funny thing. Uh, uh, the very first X Men comic I read was uh, in Amazing Adventures, and it was a reprint of the Blob story, and the very first page. I think Professor X, in his mind, professes his love for her. But he must never act on it. Yeah. That's weird. That's weird. Yeah. So, yeah, so Professor X wins wins the battle. Gene collapses to the ground. And we. And she helped him. Yes. He probably did. Yeah, he says so. She was fighting him. Mm-hmm. Or helping him. would have lost, but I sense Gene fighting her phoenix self. Helping mm-hmm. me. Bless you, child. I am so proud of you. And that right there, you know, spells the duality that you're talking about. Yeah. Fighting her phoenix self as if it's a completely different entity. 
See, and, and you, you joked about the clothes, but I just assumed that this battle was so vicious, right? It's kind of like uh, the professor getting his his force blast from Gene and his clothes being ripped and the chair being torn to shreds. I just assumed that her costume, right, was destroyed as, as part of it because clearly they don't collaborate with the FF and get unstable molecule costumes. I mean, if you recall, she makes the costume herself uh, mentally, you know, there was the, mm. the scene on the on the, the the butte when she and Cyclops, you know, lost their innocence, and uh, <laughs> and she ch- changed her clothes several times, and then you know she she was dressed in the corset and everything in the sky car, and then all of a sudden, bam, she changes it to Dark Phoenix, so it's all a mental rearrangement of the molecules, so when Phoenix goes away, that all just kind of you know, dissolved apparently. Yeah, actually, Scott commented on that in issue one, one twenty nine or thirty, when they were in New York for Dazzler's concert, and the Hellfire Club goons attacked the club, and she changed their their street clothes into co- into costumes. And Cyclops commented about that power of the Phoenix able to rearrange molecules, something like that. Yeah. So that was really brought out that she's arranging the costume, the molecules for the costumes uh, by her power. And not to mention that she fixed, remember when uh, in SU 130, when she destroyed or in 129 or 30, one of the two, when the goons were trying to get away and they ran into her with her car and then she fixed the car when they took it back. Actually, it was 130 when the car came back to Miss Frost with them supposedly all tied up in the back. Uh, she had fixed the car. Uh, I never picked up on that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So she, even as just Phoenix, before Dark Phoenix was unleashed, she was tapping into some unrealized potential. Oh yeah. So, so that that was a pretty powerful uh, point back there, especially if you once you start reading the whole thing as a whole after several readings, like me. <laughs> I, <laughs> read this probably once a year at least or uh, once every uh, 16 months because I just love this story so those little things are really cool little details that they've placed in there and we we have Cyclops in the final panels there basically just coming to terms with the fact that he'll love her no matter what whether Gene is back or if if there's still some Dark Phoenix he loves her and, and in his mind He's reciting, you know, the traditional wedding vows, and you know, Gene wakes up and uh, you know calls him out on that. You know, it sounded like that was a proposal, and uh, you know, she accepts. Now, the final page of the issue here, uh, we see her father um, giving his robe to, to <laughs> Gene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which you know. You know you get all yeah. the X-Men in the background po- in different poses. It's like, really, guys? Not, none of you thought, hey, maybe we should give her, <laughs> give her a shirt or something? Uh, well, if you notice on the final panel before, dad, mom, and sister are not that far away, so they really have time to think about it. And Colossus, if you look, he's picking up the professor rather clumsily, but he's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his back hasn't to... broken before. It is now. <laughs> Good job, Cyclops. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Um, 
And, uh, you know, we get this brief, very brief respite um, with the team. Jean's back. She's in the arms of Cyclops. Her dad is kind of chewing out Professor X, you know, what the devil has been going on here. And, uh, you know, boom, all the X-Men vanish. They're gone. And uh, Jean's family is left there, uh, you know, not not knowing what happened. Uh, but we do get the line there where uh, her dad says, you know, this is they're talking about where did they go? And he says, I don't know. The X-Men seemed as surprised as we were. If some enemy, some supervillain has kidnapped them, we may never see them or Gene again. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm, that great cliffhanger, right? Forget the next issue. Where'd they go? Who took them? The end of an epic, a 35-page masterwork, The Fate of the Phoenix. Okay, this is the end, right? This is really the end, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The the cover of this issue actually said the final phase of the Phoenix, but um, it's not. Spoilers. Uh, I just wanted to kind of do a little reminiscent within the story of storytelling. I don't know if this is Claremont or Byrne, but Gene's father taking a little finger wagging to Professor Xavier is very reminiscent of the next to the final page of issue 131 where Kitty Pride's dad mm-hmm. came out after a very similar thing where his daughter disappeared <laughs> in the midst of a battle of some sort and then comes back and dad and Kitty Pride's dad is like shove it mister what the have you been doing with my daughter what's going on you know <laughs> Or doesn't Professor X mind wipe him? Or no, that's when Gene Gene actually Gene did it. Yeah. Well, I love the professor's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, I need some tea. We'll talk about it. But it's been a rough night. I need some tea. (laughs) (laughs) You guys know why? For bourbon. (laughs) Well, they probably all use that. Uh, And I didn't know about this. I read this today that basically in this leading into the next issue, uh, they've kind of uh, reunited the original X Men, but Bobby's not here. And the reason Bobby wasn't here is apparently um, Vern said occasionally they would get uh, uh, notices that certain characters are going to be pulled to use in certain stories. So they were off limits. And at this time, I guess uh, Iceman was going to be in some uh, limited series, so they couldn't use him. But this, the series never came about. Oh, was that uh, the four-issue series that would come out just a few probably, years later? It's probably what they were – they pulled him for that, so they couldn't – he said they would just get memos. Well, these we're going to do some of these characters. You can't use them right now. So that's why Iceman is not – didn't go to the moon with him. But I, I thought also that, that Byrne had concerns with his ability to draw Iceman the way he felt he should look. Uh I don't know. I mean, that's that's that because that was one of his one one of the things he had the toughest time with. You know, he could draw him looking like the snowman. That was no problem. But making him the icy character, that's where he was having a lot of trouble um, till he finally figured out what he wanted to do with, in hidden years. It, it or, is a difficult character to draw correctly. There's definitely a lot more bad representations of Iceman than there is good. Yeah. Well, he didn't. Uh... He didn't have trouble when they in the Hulk Canyon we we uh, covered. He was drawing Iceman. You're right. Then, but so, he struggled. But he struggled. I think he wasn't happy with it. That, that could be, but I mean, on his forum, he said he seemed to remember reason why he couldn't use him was because they he was off the table. That makes sense. 
to wrap up this page, I just had one other note here, or I should say two notes. One is we talked about, you know, a little cringeworthy dialogue in the last issue. Yeah. There's, there is one moment here, right, where the mother and daughter are together, and this is where Gene's dad is giving uh, the rope to Gene, and the mom says, stay back, Sarah, let your father handle this. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? You know, uh, and then uh, I thought Storm's face looked kind of odd in that second panel, like, just like she just showed up on the scene, like, hey, guys. Did I miss something? She's she kind of smoked. I'm a Wolverine at the far right. Look at that. He's sitting there skulking behind the professor. <laughs> but he looks fine, even though he just took a chest blast, you know, like 10 minutes ago. It shows no no sign of any damage. But yeah, Storm's... Uh, he's, he's trying to duck blame from uh, Gene's father. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't, I, I, I wasn't a part of this. Right, uh, yeah. Storm I, looks like she's got anime eyes. <laughs> it does. It is. I just remember it took me out of the story, you know, then, and it took me out, you know, when I reread for for our discussion. Like, hey, even though, again, like ten minutes ago, she just got the snot beat out of her, you know, in the battle, her battle with Phoenix. Well, if the her parents were this kind of close to the battle, you think she heard Jean tell Storm, "We're closer than I am with my own sister." You think the sister heard that? I think it was way up in the air, wasn't it? I don't know. They might have been screaming or shouting it. I don't know. Right. That would I. I would read that story. Yeah, they were way up in the air. I would read that. What happens when uh, Jean's sister Sarah confronts her? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, I heard what you said. Okay. Is it is it is it too soon by the time this gets out to talk about a scene in Shazam where a similar dialogue takes place in the air? Remember the battle with um, Shazam and. Uh, Savi- uh, Savannah over over the over the city. C- can I bring that up? Uh, I need to go in my soundproof booth. Hold on. Yeah, because I haven't seen Shazam okay. either. Never mind. <laughs> I've seen it. Never mind. You, know well, you two, about? You, you two could talk offline. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Why don't you take this offline? It would be relative to this, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I think it's last time we we, we kind of summed everything up with you know our overall thoughts. Uh, much like the, the previous issue, uh, 135, again, this book does not feel dated at all, except for maybe the one reference there at the end. Um, colors are great. Text is great. Uh, of course, Burns' art is great in here. We've got a lot of emotion, um, tons of action. You know, if you want a, a book with a lot of action, this definitely has it. Uh, so, you know, again, another great book that, you know, does belies its age and still looks good. Relevant. I agree. Yeah. And it's a great mix of, of action and character scene. beats. Oh, yes. No, I just said it's a great mix of action and character beats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, putting, it never lets up. Mm. Putting it in today's context, it's Game of Thrones Episode 3. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Oh, man, that was amazing. Serious action, and you're right, Dave, um, to me, it's timeless. I mean, it's just the art is is still good. The there's aside from Jimmy Carter, and if you don't know who Jimmy Carter is, even then, it won't take you out of the context. It's just a generic president, yeah, not mentioned or anything. So it could be any president, and the artwork is clear. The story is concise, and it tells a lot. You have a lot of great dialogue and a lot of exposition in the in the boxes, but really, 
that coupled with the artwork itself really expounds the story that it's amazing. It's really a good, it's, and then you're left hanging like, I thought I was going to end and now I've got what? Another chapter still left. And back when I was a kid, I've got to wait 30 days for this with no, I, I was, no I was hints. just, just going to ask you. So obviously I did not read this off the rack. Um, I would have only been one. Uh, what did you guys think? You know, for those that did get this off the rack, what it, I mean, what did you think? Were you like, oh, no, you know, it's still not over? Or were were you intrigued to see what, what, what had happened to the X-Men who took them? I was super hyped. I had I had subscriptions. So as soon as I saw this sitting on the kitchen table, this brown paper bag, it was wrapped in brown paper and folded up in our mailbox uh, back then. And as soon as I saw it on the table when I got home from school, I ripped that paper off and read it immediately and when i got to the end i was like ah, oh my gosh because it did amp you up so far and you think oh my gosh it's gonna come down and then they're gone because it's not over so it was crazy yeah tim why don't you tell yours because i didn't read i six off the stands i didn't either because i i uh unlike you uh young fellas i i came by comics late i didn't really start i mean i'm same age as you guys, but I didn't start reading them until I was about 18. So I didn't start reading until I was, you know, 83, 84. Mm. So I read this first in my big trade. And, you know, so then there's not, it's like, yeah, I can just flip right to the next page. <laughs> right, right. Next what page. a dramatic cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. You know, every you know, person who reads a story is for the trader the first time, I think you need to wait 30 days before you finish the next chapter. <laughs> <Read> 30 months. <laughs> when, when I first read these, of course, um, you know, I went right from 135 to 137. You know, I waited and waited and kept checking, kept checking, and it never came in. And then finally 137 comes in. And so I'm like, well, wait, what the hell happened? And, of course, they do a recap. And then, of course, 138 does the master recap. And, of course, you know, they had little bits and scenes from the issue as well in there. And so, you know, I I think I went probably five, maybe six years before I actually picked up the issue and was able to see how how it went. And then, of course, the trade paperbacks came out later. But, you know, I mean, even missing that, you still got the full gravity of everything in 137, and I can't wait for us to cover that. My my closest probably correlation would be that just pops that I've just come off the top of my head right now is when I read uh, in Avengers the Siege Run mm-hmm. when they're run they're you know uh, <clears throat> attacked by the Masters of Evil. That was about I don't remember five or six or more issues, and I read that off the stand. So that's similar to. A lot of action, waiting for the next issue to come out and see what happened. It was so, a very well-paced story. Uh, yeah. I think I think they broke it into the, uh, the chapters where it needed to be broken into for the context that they had it in. And they, they made you want to come back for the next month. Uh, as, a, as a kid buying it off the rack or even a grown-up buying it off the rack back then, when that... 30 days when because they used to have little blurbs in the bottom next issue on sale third week in july or something like that or july 22 or whatever Uh, you were we were looking for that date and we were talking to our 
to the whoever it was that was unwrapping, unstrapping the comic books and magazines back then, say, hey, please save this for me. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, I had a subscription, but I think I also bought an extra issue that showed up on the rack because I was like, uh, this is really cool. So, Well, you couldn't. I had for a while I had a subscription, too, and they would always come later then because I was also going to my comic store. So I'd always I would double dip. I, I couldn't wait for my one to come in the mail. So I would pick up the newsstand copy to read it and then I get the one in the mail like a week or so later. Mm-hmm. You guys, you fancy pants with your subscriptions. I was cheap, then you could get twelve issues for like six bucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh-huh. You guys want to hear a couple uh, what people experienced? What a couple of our uh, listeners experienced and other oh, people yeah. on Facebook love to absolutely. Okay, uh, the first one I'm going to read actually is not a listener of ours. At least I don't know that he's a listener of ours, but if he is, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, came from Rob Liefeld. Oh, wow. And he says, I read it in real time from bi-monthly to monthly, 1977 through 1980. Never missed an issue. It gripped me in a way I could not imagine at age 10 through 13. The drama, scale, action, and consequences are still the best I've ever experienced in my entire comic reading. Thanks, cool. Rob, for, cool. for giving that. That's and then I've got cool. another one from uh, John Alisea. Now, John's uh, the one that's doing those interviews with John Byrne on sci-fi uh, that have been showing up from time to time on YouTube in different areas. I don't know if you guys have been watching those. Have you? I've, I've watched, watched a few of them. Yeah. yeah, likewise. Yeah, uh, John says he first picked it up at the corner store. It was a Phoenix, uh, well, it was Phoenix the Untold Story one-shot. So whatever years that came out. And then the story in the art blew him away. His first, it was his first X-Men book. He read and reread that thing for years, and the fact that they lose was something that he had never experienced before. There's something confusing in that. Because it, it sounds like he read the Phoenix, the untold story, one shot. Was there a, a trade paperback or something that had the whole thing, the untold story, as well as the... Uh... No, it was just the original X-Men 137. It was X-Men 137 with the original ending. Mm-hmm. complete just complete 137 as if yeah i've got that but yeah. it, just the way he's saying this it sounds like he that the first thing he picked up was phoenix the untold story which would have been yeah and that because came that out came out 82. about 80 yeah 82 83 i remember when it came out and i scoured for that uh that edition but yeah it was just x-men 137 hmm. okay i got some others i'm going to pepper into the the thing here, but I'm not going to read them all right here because some of them are really, really long. Uh, <laughs> but um, so you're saying I mean, one of them was written by Chris Claremont? <laughs> I don't have a Chris Claremont. I do have a guy that calls himself Sash. Sash. Oh, that's Sash. Claremont. That's Claremont's uh, screen name. That's his name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought his screen name was Never Again with Burn. Too oh. Oh. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah um, I can imagine that if you if, if 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 someone had picked up Phoenix the Untold Story, and then hearing everyone talk about the actual ending that was published, that would be really confusing. <laughs> thinking, wait, that's not that's not what I heard or read. What are you talking about? So, hmm. Trying to well, I heard I heard some stuff, and this really pertains to the next issue. But I guess I can. It's not like it's a spoiler. That when they were deciding what to do with Phoenix, and I think of a shooter that they, uh, somebody suggested they would uh, imprison her, that the government would 
keep her locked up or something. And he said, well, no, because then the X-Men would constantly be trying to break her out. Yeah. So you can't do that. And that's when they came up with the idea, well, let's just kill her off. You uh, know, she, you know, they thought she should have to pay for what she did. The the story that, that goes around, the most popular version of it, is that Shooter, you know, let them go through this whole Dark Phoenix saga, and he wasn't really reading it and paying attention because it wasn't until after, you know, they already put out all these issues and they're getting 137 together that he's like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. She kills all these people and, you know, she's not going to pay for it. No, she has to pay for it. She has to die. You can't just lobotomize her. That's not right. Mm -hmm. That's the gist of what they put in the 30th anniversary interviews with him. And so, you know, that's why they want, you know, wind up, you know, killing her. Now, for me, reading it that way, that's to me. And, and I, I even had one person make a comment on Facebook that, yeah, you can tell that the last couple pages were were changed out and different and everything. I guess we can take a look at that when we when we go over that issue. But, you know, I never noticed that there there seemed to be a change in there anywhere. You know, it never looked to me like, you know, we did the big switcheroo, not like. In Fantastic Four, when Byrne didn't do that artwork for those few pages. Uh, yeah, that's interesting to me. I mean, when you compare the published X Men 137 with Phoenix: The Untold Story, you can see where they they made the decision to to make the change. But uh, I don't think the artwork is that different. So I'll have to take a look at that when, when well, we go I, through it again. I thought one of the the, the compromises was. Uh, Shooter, I guess, thought she should be executed, you know, to, to pay for what she did. And I think the compromise was, well, we'll let her take her own life. So it solves the same problem. She's gone, but she's not executed. It's her choice. So she decides to let herself be killed. So, mm-hmm. uh, but nobody stays dead. So, right, not anymore. Okay. <laughs> hey, I did find that uh, the actual panel in that Amazing Adventures. Um, Professor X, you know, Jean just basically says to him they're getting ready to go out and look for the blob, and she's like, don't worry, sir, remember how well you trained us. And you, His thought balloon goes, don't worry. As though I could help worrying about the one I love, but I can Oish. never tell her. I have <laughs> no right. Not while I'm the leader of the X-Men and confined to this wheelchair. And he says all this while stuffing his cigar with tobacco. How about <laughs> not like you're 35 years old and she's 15? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's not the real barrier. It's the wheelchair. Right. I was just gonna say, yeah. So his only two issues are that he's in a supervisory position, and that he can't and that he can't walk yet. Wow. But if, if it only was if those two yeah. things. Yeah, if only I hadn't created that uh, don't date employees rule when I created the X Men. Yeah. Gotta wonder though, what happens when OSHA comes and inspects the danger room? I don't think OSHA's involved in that danger room. <laughs> I don't think any of the inspectors actually leave that room. <laughs> yeah, let's turn it on and see how it works. <laughs> yeah, it's right in here. <laughs> take, take a second door on your left. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, so, do we have any last thoughts uh, on this comic, gents? Because I think we are... Uh, we've hit the three-hour mark, and uh, yeah. some of us need to get to bed. Actually, i got to do some work. Um <laughs> <laughs> no other comments on this issue. I thought it's just a great issue. I mean, it, it, it's a great lead up to the final issue. It was just, I think, I think we've gushed over it enough. It's, 
if you haven't read it, go out and find it. It's, it's reprinted in lots of different places. You can Agreed. find the trade paperback of the entire saga from 129 to 137 at a fairly decent price. Yeah. It looks so. great in the omnibus, too. The giant size X omnibus. It's not cheap, yeah. but it looks beautiful in that. Yeah. All right. So, got- you want to take us out, Brian? Oh, I thought you were going to. I did last time. Oh, I'll take it out. I'll take us out. I'll take us out. I'll take us out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> don't Brian pressure was just me. He's eating a saltine don't. and he was like, oh. <laughs> don't pressure me, man. No. Uh,. Okay, uh, that wraps up our coverage of 136. Uh, we will cover 137 in our next um, special issue or show. Uh, so for Third Degree Burn, I'm Tim Elliott. I'm Brian Hughes. John. John. <laughs> I'm John Hyatt. <laughs> Your last I'm one, David. David. I'm David Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks okay. for joining us. That's awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Good night. Thanks, everyone. Good night. No place Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.